And it looks like we are live. All right. Are we live, Devin? I think so. All right. Awesome. Anyways, hey, everyone. So if there's anybody who has been uh, waiting, welcome. And uh, we appreciate you coming in, all that fun stuff. And uh, instead of, we're going to be covering this as well, too, right off the bat. But uh, I will let my guest here slash co-host for the night introduce himself. Yeah, hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, my name's Devin. Uh, don't really have too much of a presence online like Mr. Mario over here. Oh, but okay. uh, if you, yeah, <laughs> if you want to follow me on Twitter or check me out, uh, my handle is paranoid underscore coder. I'm not on there too often, but you can find me there. So yeah, it's about it for me, really. Yeah. So the reason why uh, we have Devin here tonight is because this this has been authorized, but uh, Daniel, unfortunately, he did let me know in advance, which was nice. Uh, but a couple hours before the podcast, he let me know. He said, hey, some stuff came up kind of serious. He should be okay, though, thankfully. Just keep him in your thoughts. But uh, he said some stuff came up. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to do this. So you're going to have to go solo tonight if you're going to continue with the show or go ahead and find someone else. And, uh, you know, I picked... Well, Devin, why... Why do you think that you would be a good to contender for mod chat here? I don't know, Danny. We kind of well, we met through this channel, which means I kind of am interested in modding to begin with because I follow you. Uh, software development is my day job, so I kind of do stuff that modders do for a living. So I don't know. I think I have some good insight, and we're also pretty good buddies, I suppose. So that 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 does that. Helps. that, that yeah, fun fact for, for anybody that didn't know, uh, Devin's actually the first person I met through this YouTube channel here and all that. So we end up meeting up, and now, like, I guess I don't make smart decisions because you're in my apartment right now and you can steal all my shit. Yeah, I could. <laughs> it, would be on, it would be on camera, though, so... Yeah, yeah, no, it's all good. It'd be all over the place. Personally, I think Devin's underselling himself. No, he has quite a wealth of knowledge in the, uh, the modding community and all that fun stuff. So uh, we've had very long, extensive talks, and we were actually going to be getting into a talk prior to this, and they were just like, oh, wait, no, we should save all the talking for mod chat because that's what it's going to be. So Devin, thank you very much for joining in. It's been much appreciated because he he joined in with like little to no warning, and uh, it's it, you're definitely helping me out here, so I very much appreciate it. Yeah, man, no problem. Obviously, I'm excited. I talked about this with you, like, not too long ago. Like, hey, if you ever need someone, let me know, man. So, here we go. Yep. It'll, it'll be a fun time. Yeah. Anyways, uh, first thing I want to talk about, I mean, we're going to be talking about Switch vulnerabilities and all that fun stuff. Um, but I just kind of wanted to talk to someone on here about the Switch itself. So, Devin, you also own a Switch, which works out. And now in my apartment, I have two Switches. Yeah, I mean, I've got mine right here. So I, I don't. Pretty nice. I don't have mine right here. Danny, come yeah. on, man. I think mine's in my backpack. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> I got mine right here to show off if we need to. So don't worry. Perfect. Yeah. So so far, what have your thoughts been on the switch overall? It's really really interesting. I've never experienced a console like this where I've thought, "Dang, is this really the best console I've ever owned?" And you know, within how long has it been since it came out? Uh, just two under weeks. two weeks. Two weeks, just under two weeks. So yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty insane, man. I am I'm loving it. It's it's everything I've wanted in a console for quite a long time, actually. So, mm -hmm. what about I, your I, thoughts? I thought it was going to be gimmicky as well, too. I still got one, anyways, because I wanted to, you know, give it a shot and all that stuff. And it's just that's kind of me. I want to, you know, try out the new system and everything. But I've been extremely happy with it. Um, it's even it's to the point I have not 
enjoyed using a console this much in so long. Like even my uh, yeah. my console of preference, you know, this generation at least has been the PlayStation Four. Uh, so I've played all there, but it's just even so like it has it has good games, and I enjoy the system. Don't get me wrong. Um, I remember when I got the Xbox One, even at launch, it was like it it, it was all right. But I I tell people, you know, it was it was exciting getting a new system, getting into a new generation. Uh, but at the same time, there was nothing really to play on there that I was. I was kind of excited about, but you know, like Dead Rising three, four to five, those were the games I picked up at the time, and it was like, eh, it was it was okay. So um, I I got back on three sixty later that night, but the Switch, like everything else, has just been collecting a little bit of dust, and I haven't really been on Xbox Live or PSN or Steam all that much. I popped on a few times to do a few things, but I've been playing Zelda almost every single day, and that game, aside from the technical limitations, is a absolute masterpiece. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, and, you know, these days I'm not as much of a gamer as I really used to be. I wish I had more time to dedicate to it, but I find myself trying to fit time in with this console. And part of it really is because I do enjoy sitting at my couch, you know, with my bigger TV and enjoying a console that uh, looks beautiful but I also love handhelds, and that's kind of what I've used for a long, long time with Game Boys, DSs, and so on, uh, PSP, of course. So I, I really, really like my handhelds, but it's less of a, a Switch. I don't have to worry about Switch. It's funny. Huh? So I don't have to worry <laughs> about sw completely switching from what I'm playing on the handheld to what I'm playing on the TV. I can do both, and that's obviously the selling point of the console, but it it really is just as good as they made it out to be. It's 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 perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, e even when people say it is underpowered and all that stuff, it's like, I'm not saying that, you know, I I'm not trying to say, oh, no, it's a super powerful system. People are underestimating. I do think people are underestimating a bit. And like, I will, you know, I will acknowledge compared to its competition, it is underpowered, which is disappointing. But at the same time, I'm just having a lot of fun using the system. However, uh, really, the only reason why you'd want to get it right now is either if you are, a per you could be one of these two people or both, um, if you just want to be an early adopter or if you want to play Breath of the Wild. Um, I want to do both of them, and so far it's definitely satisfied that need, but I could say if it did not launch with Breath of the Wild, I would be quite disappointed. Like, I, I the other games I have, I have Super Bomberman R and uh, Fast Remix, which are fun games, but those are just like little casual games I'll play for a little bit here and there. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have Fast Remix and I have 1-2 Switch, and I, I do think 1-2 Switch was a bit overpriced, but I don't necessarily regret buying it right now because it does show the capabilities of the console with a lot of the motion controls and stuff, and it's uh, it's been a lot of fun in several different scenarios. So um, it doesn't really have a lot of really good games to play right now, but I think Breath of the Wild was just enough to kind of get something in there for the hardcore fans and please kind of the masses with a bit more of these gimmicky games that are still really fun to play in a party setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've been, um, like, Fast Remix, the more I play of it, the more I enjoy. And then Super Bomberman, that's been, you know, it's typical Bomberman, so that's been definitely fun. 1-2 uh, Switch, I actually did think of picking it up. I probably need to play it with you at one point, but I thought of picking it up, and I actually, I saw a breakdown, like, I think IGN did a breakdown of every single minigame, and that actually convinced me to not get it. Like, admittedly, the, the one that threw me off was that minigame called Baby. I saw that, and I'm just like, no, no, I don't want to play this. I'm done. For the record, I have not played the Baby minigame. It's kind it of is, disturbing. 
It is really weird. And I've kind of come to the conclusion that there's five or six mini games that really make it worth it. Um, if this came out at a $20 price point, it would be, you know, it, it would be no question to get it. Uh, yeah. Those mini games, those few are alone great. Um, if they could have cut out all the other mini games and packaged that with the Switch, I think they would have really nailed it and had something really nice to just ship with it. Like, what but, if they even, so like the, the six games that you're liking, what if they even did something where they just like trimmed it all down and they released just like those six games on a cartridge that they did as a packing game? That, yeah, that either a packing game or just the digital. That's what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. uh, I think those would have really helped sell the console too because you could have just gotten it and played right away. And I mean, the, the games are a little bit gimmicky, but I've played uh, several of them like the ping pong and the quick draw and the ones that people have seen at my work. Uh, several times that people keep wanting to play them because they're <laughs> that fun. Yeah. Um, but it's only five or six, and you're paying for, I think it's near 30. Yeah, 28, exactly, if I remember right. Yeah. Um, no, even uh, one person at XE is saying on here, you know, he, he pay like 20 but not 50 for it. And that's my thing as well, too. Um, I If it was 20 bucks, I would have picked it up. But even so, like you're telling me there's five or six games that are really fun on there. And I believe that, but I'm like, but I'm paying like 50 bucks even on disc. And I'd be paying $40 for this. And that's that's too much for me, at least in my opinion, to spend on there. Um, not to say like I, I thought Zelda was worth it. Uh, Super Bomberman, though, I do acknowledge that that is also overpriced at 50 bucks, but I still think that's that's definitely a game that I do want to play. So I think Konami just priced it at 50 because, hey, they look like the good guys since it's not 60 bucks, but they have the excuse of selling it for 50 because it's like, well, what else are you going to play on the Switch? Yeah, um, and that's true because, honestly, I don't think I would have bought one to Switch if there was a better game to represent the motion controls and something to play with people. I definitely wouldn't have paid for it at 50 bucks if it wasn't one of the few options I had. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, take advantage of the opportunity while you can, I suppose. Can't really blame them. Absolutely. Yeah, I uh, even uh, Grim, he was mentioning here, uh, Mario Kart, and then right after this, I, I promise we'll be uh, getting into the vulnerability stuff. Um, but no, I my excitement for this is going to be uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Edition, because I absolutely love Mario Kart 8, and yeah, it is, it is kind of disappointing that they're not releasing a whole new one, they're just releasing a director's cut of sorts on the, uh, the new system coming from the old one, but I really, really enjoy Mario Kart 8. I had so much fun with that, and if I can now... I pretty much told people if I can play a quick game of Mario Kart 8 on the toilet while at work, like I'm I'm set with the Switch. I'm good. So I totally agree. I think Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which is the new version that's coming out on the Switch, um, I think that solves several of my issues that I've had with Mario Kart in the past because I love the Mario Kart franchise, but I had it on the 3DS and the Wii U. And, and those are really... two completely different games because uh, even if, I mean, Mario Kart 7 versus Mario Kart 8, but also they're just completely different when you play them. Correct. Yeah, they have slightly different mechanics, uh, different unlockables, and so on. Seven's um, also a lot easier than 8. That is true. <laughs> and my, my issue with it, though, is that I would always want to play Mario Kart with other people, but I wouldn't address each game on their own enough to unlock everything and so when I would play with people, I wouldn't have anything unlocked because I didn't want to spend the time on each game. Now, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, you've got the Switch. So whether you're take it with you or you're, you know, playing with friends at your home, it's the same game. You have the same unlockables, not to mention 
everything is already unlocked. That's true. I actually, so, I just now learned about everything being unlocked, so that is exciting. Yeah. Yep. So right out the gate, you have all the characters and all the tracks. I think there is a few things that you can unlock, but as far as the you know tracks and characters go, you've got everything. Yeah. So it's definitely really going to supplement that whole party genre really well. It will. It will. I'm excited for it. Anyways, now that we kind of you know aired out our thoughts on the Switch and everything, uh, does does vulnerability talk sound good? That sounds perfect, man. All right. Awesome. So you know what, Devin, since you're the uh, the new co-host here. Um, ho hopefully until Daniel comes back and everything. Uh, <laughs> you want to uh, introduce the topic here? Yeah, so, hmm, I don't know. It's been under two weeks, like we just mentioned, and it looks like we've already got some hope for, uh, for a Switch exploit. Yes. Or some homebrew, potentially, for, you know, that door to bust wide open. And as I'm sure you'd agree, it seems like as soon as that door gets cracked open with the console... That's that's about it. Yeah. No, that that really is about it. Like so far, it is. Um, so uh, one of the first guys who put this out, I had seen some because um, I'm looking at the photo right here. And if you're watching the podcast, thank you very much. And it's on screen right now. And this is from an article on Wolo.net. Um, but right here it is essentially a WebKit exploit. And uh, Nintendo has a hidden browser on the Switch. Um, it's used for a few things here and there, like, you know, authenticating to Twitter or Facebook or Club Nintendo, not Club Nintendo, but uh, I don't know, some other things. I Pretty think much actually the eShop is the browser. I've noticed that it looks really? like a lot of the, the buttons available. I'm not positive, but it could be. And it wouldn't surprise me if they just made it a web app. Gotcha. Yeah, they kind of want to take that way out. The, the only thing is they don't have a browser that you can access no, through normal means. Uh, the browser is hidden on there. However, the uh, the thing is it's a very old browser that has several exploits. And one of the guy who specifically did this one right here, um, he he doesn't have kernel access. He was just able to you know trigger a WebKit exploit. But he worked on Jailbreak Me and Pengu, I believe, on iOS. And he essentially just kind of ported his code and modified it slightly for the Switch, executed it, and it's working. Right. And I'm really honestly shocked that this has even happened. I yeah. mean, the WebKit exploits, web browser exploits, have been the bane of the 3DS, and now the Wii U. And see, that's what's shocking to me as well, too, because like I even I even told people I had said if Nintendo wants to secure the if they want to do a better job securing the switch, the easiest thing they could have done is not include a web browser on this thing. So, well, here's the problem, though. Um, the, these uh, these bugs have already been reported. They're using old code. Yeah. There is newer code available that they don't have to necessarily figure out the patches for. They're available to the public. Why they go the route of including an, a browser with outdated code, I'm not really sure. I Because it's Nintendo being Nintendo, maybe? I'm, yeah, I mean, who knows? They could be iterating on the same browser, but it seems like they did quite the overhaul on the operating system uh, with the Switch, um, even down to the kernel level, uh, with it being based on a different architecture and, from what I can tell, using the free BSD kernel mm -hmm. um, as a base for everything yet they're still using an outdated browser. So, uh, well, I don't think we'll ever really know what, you know, 
goes on did, through their heads and what they're doing. But didn't Nintendo also announce that they they did announce a browser for the Switch, and um, it's it, it's a newer, different type of browser, and it's going to be coming out later. I believe they did announce that, or somebody at least confirmed it. But there's still, you know, a browser hidden in the Switch system. Yeah, you know, uh, I haven't heard that in particular. Uh, the only thing relatively close to that, which could be mixed in and I didn't read close enough, was Nintendo confirmed that a lot of the streaming services like YouTube and Hulu were coming. Um, I don't know about a web browser in particular. I haven't heard that, but I mean, I would expect it to, to be honest. And yeah. in all reality, this, even though they've had their problems in the past, this is the first console where I've actually kind of wanted to use a web browser. It actually is a good, it's a tablet. You, I mean, you know, the funny thing is, um, it, it's really funny you say that because uh, one of my good friends who's, who's been on here, Pathogen David, he was actually extremely disappointed that the Switch was not going to launch with a web browser or Netflix or any other multimedia app because he said that he does have a smartphone, he does have computers and game systems, but he does not have a tablet, at least a working one. His current tablet is broken. He can't justify purchasing a new tablet, but he wanted to buy the Switch. So what he was going to do was he was going to use his Switch as kind of a makeshift tablet around the house as well, too, because that's what he could do with it. And now at this point, it can only play games, which for a game system, that's not a bad thing, admittedly. But right. you can also tell, like, when you use system, you're like, oh, this would be with how snappy and how, you know, how accessible everything is. It'd be great if there was multimedia apps or web browser apps or anything else. Well, a web browser on there. So I also think the reason why they didn't include one is because honestly, the system does feel rushed. Like the UI is, it's nice, but it's extremely basic right now. It really is. Um, I think they're off to a really great start. I'm a really big fan of how the layout looks uh, kind of as a foundational thing. Um, I think it's really clean, and I think they can build off of it really well. But that is one of my, um, I wouldn't say complaints about the Switch, uh, but kind of right now is that the software does feel a little underdeveloped. It's not polished. What they have there is polished, but there is much more to come, and I think we all know that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So no, even so, it's just the the big thing here has really been the um, the the WebKit exploit that's been released, and um, it is out. You can play around with it and all that. It's just it's a proof of concept, though. And uh, I guess right now at this point, this is kind of what I had predicted before. I said you know probably shortly after the switch will come out, um, we're going to see some something, um, and this is something that we have seen. Uh, but there's nothing close to you know playing uh, backed up games or decrypting games or um, doing anything else. There's no kernel level access. But uh, I guess what do you think is the chance of getting that through this exploit? Oh man, I mean it's hard to say from you know from what we saw on the 3ds. As soon as you get just bare user land access, it's all it takes. But the Switch is also a, a whole new console. It's possible that that second layer to get to that kernel, to get to the real meaty stuff that everyone, or maybe not everyone, but what a lot of people want, could be that much harder. So I think it's really hard to say right now. I think this is more than most consoles get in a year. Mm -hmm. So it's off to a really great start. Um, I don't know. We're just going to have to see. Yeah. Hopefully we see something soon on here. It'd be nice. Um, but the thing is we have, I mean, 
first off, the the Switch is sold out, so it's definitely it's everywhere. Um, people have it in their hands. Smart people have it as well too. People from the Wii U seeing the 3DS scene, and even now we're seeing like the jailbreak scene. People, the, so it seems like the right people have it and i believe i think they've dumped uh the storage and like the memory and uh, i think they've dumped the firmware on the uh the joy con and i believe they also um it's been confirmed that some people have done it on the switch itself which um i don't know some people what i kind of want to talk about is a lot of people were freaking out about just like oh yeah there's a there's a nan dump and there's this exploit and all that and it's like well Hold on, guys. Hold on. Uh, this is a step in the right direction. I'm not, and congratulations to everyone who has done it, but so far, a NAND dump is a NAND dump. Uh, the example I use is the Xbox One and PS4, shortly after release, both had their NANDs dumped. And looking at the Xbox One, what's happened with the development on that homebrew scene? Right. There's there's not nothing there. System <laughs> came out in late 2013. We have a NAND dump, guys. We have a NAND dump. We have a NAND dump. But that's that's the last thing we have. Um, then when it comes to uh, not the uh, not the Nandum, but the actual exploit here, um, it's a proof of concept, and we just need to see it, you know, go further. But there's still a lot more work that's to be done. The fact that we're seeing it, though, I am very happy to you know see all that. I myself, I haven't tried it. Like I haven't tried uh, DN Switch, which you can use to hijack the browser. I haven't tried this exploit um, just because I haven't felt the need yet to you know use my Switch as a internet browsing tablet of some kind. Uh, and also, you know, this exploit right here, it really doesn't do much. It's just, you know, it kind of, it allows the the WebKit to be executed. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. I haven't really tried um, either of these exploits. Um, I'm just going to kind of let the community at large do their thing, and uh, hopefully we'll see something soon. I wouldn't be too surprised if we saw some, at least proof of concept, homebrew running within six months with something like this. Because... Mm -hmm. um, Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, no, because even so, I was going to say, it's like, I remember, um, like, not not Geohot. Uh, Geohot, I mean, he'd done his uh, his jailbreak on the PS3, and he, uh, you know, kept omitted some things on purpose. Uh, the more, the person I was thinking of, of was uh, Smealum, or Smea for short, uh, when he originally did uh, Ninja Hacks, and then he had the homebrew launcher and all that, and he specifically, he did the same thing as Geohot. He specifically had it, so it's like, no, this isn't going to allow you to manipulate the firmware on your system or do anything else. This isn't going to allow you to play uh, backed up games or pirated games, uh, but eventually you know people found a way to patch custom firmware on there and then you know access ways to uh, access the firmware downgrade your firmware dump it like it got to the point you could do everything through the homebrew browser granted it was one exploit and then other exploits piggybacked off it but still it's it, it took time to do that as well too right and until nintendo you know gets everything together with their browser and starts actually updating it with new code there's going to be exploits that are documented. So there's going to be vulnerabilities out there that are known that can be worked off of. So yeah, it's going to be an interesting ride with the switch for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'll be excited to see what happens here. It's just, it's, it, it's nice that we saw things immediately off the bat, but again, it's like, I feel like this really could have been avoided if they either didn't include the internet browser or they included one, like a newer one that was actually patched. Yeah, no doubt. I don't think they could get away with not having any, like a web browser on a tablet in this day and age that seems kind of weird, mm -hmm. but it's been years, guys. Come on, learn your lesson. Yeah, have you, um, one thing I was thinking of, because uh, I thought of this earlier today, but uh, since you were pretty heavy in the PSP scene, do you remember how the first uh, PSP ISOs were dumped? No, I really don't. 
So pretty much what happened, quick history lesson, this kind of just reminded me of it. But uh, back on the PSP, it was, this was like firmware 1.5 days where there was no other updates or anything. I mean, 1.5 was the first update. But uh, did you ever play Wipeout Pulse? Yeah, of course. I played a ton of Wipeout. So did you ever try the browser exploit on there? No. No, uh, per- so this was it was very similar, except you needed a game. That was really the only difference. But uh, and nobody really nobody used this as an exploit game. But it led to some of the first developments in the scene uh, because essentially what ended up happening was uh, the PSP didn't get the web browser built into it until firmware 2.0, I believe. But yeah. prior to that, the there was a game that had an internet browser, and it was Wipeout Pulse, and it used that internet browser to download DLC, do a few other things, register your account and such to play online. And people found out about that. And there was a way where essentially you could, uh, this was way before my time, and then I didn't understand this stuff nearly as much uh, when I was 12 at the time. Uh, But essentially what you could do is you could um, go into Wipeout Pulse, you go into the area where you activated the internet browser, and then you had to, before you did all that, change a few values, like change um, to a different DNS server or something, on your router itself. So that way, instead of connecting to the website it was supposed to go to, it would take you to a more open-ended version of the browser. And it was missing a bunch of stuff, of course, because the PSP's browser was already limited. But the fact is, you could use Wipeout Pulse as a browser. Yeah, no, I sounds familiar. I never actually ended up doing that, um, probably because I didn't feel like messing with DNS stuff on my router. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't have a PSP at the time, so I couldn't. I see, okay, yeah. Well, sounds like web browsers have kind of been, you know, a target for a long time, though. They really have. The reason why I was talking about this, too, is um, because, I mean, I just thought it was a browser at the time, and it, it was for the most part. But, you know, it had the, uh, you, you put in the URL and everything. It's like HTTP, cold slash, slash, whatever it is. Some people who tried that end up finding out that you could actually point to some of the internal PSP stuff. So you could point to flash zero, cold slash, slash, or disk zero. And... People found out you could point disk zero, and they dumped the first like five or six PSP ISOs that way. Whoa! No way! Yeah! Yeah! Wow. yeah. It was because of Wipeout Pulse. I didn't know because that. That's that, really that, awesome. That browser was so insecure or non-secure. Technically, it was it was so non-secure that they were able to access internals on the system. Jeez! Yeah, I mean, QA guys. <laughs> <laughs> People are going to try some crazy things. It's hard to think of all the different scenarios, but wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll it makes see. sense because your uh, your web browser can do the same thing. Uh, you know, gosh, back in Windows 95, Windows 98 days, Windows Explorer and Internet Explorer were hardly any different. You could navigate yeah. your files and stuff like that through Internet Explorer. That is true. I, I remember there were several times I was able to do that pretty easily. So, so makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, no, I uh, there was actually some uh, some some questions on here that I was uh, seeing, but uh, Jack is asking here: Do you think another exploit like Ninjax will arise on the Switch? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, like Ninjax? I mean, essentially an exploit game. Yeah, I think exploitable games are. I don't know. It's really hard to say with this new hardware. I mean, I think that if. Uh, if Nintendo was piggybacking off a lot of the same stuff they were with the 3DS and the Wii U, which had a fairly similar operating system, um, a lot of the same, you know, underpinnings, um, I'd be a lot more likely to say yes. Um, and I think it's still very likely. I have seen some people online mention that there are some definite similarities in the operating system, but 
you know, it's really hard to say, you know, where that begins and ends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think exploitable games are of high probability uh, mm-hmm. with what I've seen in the past, you know, and if they're following the path of this web browser, they probably haven't learned too much. Yeah, and I, I feel like it's probably going to be some that's more web browser based. It's possible that we could see a type of game hack. Um, if they do QR codes, that'd be interesting again. Um, but no, I think they're probably going to be aiming, not saying they don't exist, but they're probably going to be aiming more for um, for web browser based stuff. Because even uh, like the other systems, you know, the not the Switch, the, uh, the Wii U, it's mostly, you know, browser-based exploits, uh, if not exclusively. And then the other system, uh, PS4, like they have a 1.76 firmware WebKit and you launch out through the internet browser. So people are using internet browsers to their advantage. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, overall, this is going to make internet browsers a lot more secure in the long run. You think so? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, if they're the target of exploits. I suppose not really if they're just leveraging already known exploits that have been patched. That's just kind of like shame on you, company. <laughs> um, suppose there's not really too much to learn there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if this is a trend that continues, then we're going to end up with better products as a result of it. I mean, people are finding flaws in the company. Better products or more locked down products? Because, like, the Vita, for example, if you um, did you ever mess with the Vita or play around with it at all? Uh, no, I haven't. Because of the mess that was the PSP and the homebrew scene, they completely locked down the Vita to, I mean, now it's exploitable, but it took so many years to do that. And uh, it got to the point, it was it, it was annoying for end users, like legit users who wanted to just use it and not worry about, you know, custom firmware or anything else. Uh, for example, to transfer files over, you couldn't just copy and paste. Um, you have to use something called like QCMA, which is essentially a program that you install on your computer. You could also use a PS3 or something. But point is you have to use proprietary software and you have to go through a really big roundabout way just to transfer files to and from your system. Yeah, I think when it gets to the point of, you know, blocking a user from performing normal, obvious functionality, that's an issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the company could probably do better with their implementation. However... Mm -hmm. It depends on the product, too, because iOS, um, the iPhone and whatnot, I think is a much more secure product with all of the jailbreaks that have come out over the years and that have been patched. Um, your mobile phone has a lot more personal information that you probably you know, are more concerned about it not getting hacked as compared to your game console. Um, so it's, it's fairly contextual, you know what I mean? Um, I think overall it's it's better for the community to find these flaws because we end up with more secure products. Yeah. Um, I, that's, I mean, that's a good point you brought up with iOS as well, too, because that's why jailbreaks take so long at this point. Uh, not only Apple is paying for exploits that can lead to jailbreaks, but then on top of that as well, too, um, there's been so many exploits that have been found and patched either through jailbreaks or through people submitting them to Apple that it's now, it takes much longer and it's much harder to, you know, find these exploits that are going to jailbreak the phones, um, which is why people are waiting so long. At this point, we're now trusting um, Chinese teams and really waiting for them. I think like uh, Pengu, for example, somebody was telling me that um, this is the reason why Pengu continues. It's not really their love for it. It's more they are getting paid by another company. You can submit these exploits to Apple and get paid for them. But uh, another site, I believe it's 25PP, they specialize, you know, in pirate. Last time I checked, they specialize in like pirated uh, apps and such for iOS. And they pay Pengu to uh, release these exploits as jailbreaks. Uh, makes sense. I'm terribly surprised, but um, 
but yeah, no, they're taking longer and longer. And uh, for some people, that's good. For some people who, you know, don't want their phones hacked because I don't think people realize that jailbreaks are essentially malware that you allow. Yeah. Um, they, they have full system control and they could do whatever you want. We just, you know, have people good enough in the community to give the, give users more freedom instead of hack them, I suppose. That is true. So, Even on Android, like if you, if you root your phone, which you, you know, I root my phones and all that stuff, but if you get something bad, that's why, that's why super use is important. If you get a malicious app on there and you don't have a, you have root access, but not a super user to, you know, grant and deny access at will. It could do some damage to your phone and your personal information. Right, whether you know it or not. Mm -hmm. So there's multiple sides to the whole thing. There are. Yep. Too many. That's why I even I, I thought of this uh, either today or yesterday, but when it comes to the jailbreak thing, because I, I have several friends who are heavily into iOS, and they also like their jailbreaks, so they want to update their phones, but they also want those jailbreaks at the same time, and that's kind of why I'm happy, you know, I'm on Android, because at this point, it's like, well, I really... Unless you're on a Samsung device, like you, you have a Pixel. I came from Nexus. I'm on OnePlus right now. Uh, all those brands are pretty open to allowing you to unlock your bootloader and root your device. I'm not waiting for any type of exploit to come out for months on end. Yeah, it's true, and uh, especially nice with Google's monthly security updates. So it's a really nice experience to be able to just go update, keep on going without a hiccup. Mm -hmm. um, I also well, remember the only hiccup, the only hiccup is really going to be you just have to reroute, which that yeah. doesn't change unless occasionally, and they don't really do it to block it. Occasionally, it does change, um, but that's more of a system change, not really a change to prevent people from rooting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of just comes with the update, mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of more work to get around it than it is to just reflash super user. Yeah, um, I do remember. It's been a long time since I actually was in the jailbreak scene. But that was also uh, much more of a pain to go through the process of upgrading your firmware when a jailbreak came out. So uh, that's a benefit of Android that I've really enjoyed is that being able to take those updates without having to uh, a factory reset, without losing all your tweaks um, that you've installed. It's just much more of a seamless process and caters to the kind of modern mindset much more. Some of them I remember as well, too, uh, especially like Black Rain and some other ones. I remember because uh, they would get separate release candidates and updates and everything. And sometimes I would I mean, jailbreaking your phone, it's not kosher by Apple's means. But when I uh, when I was jailbreaking my iDevices and all that stuff, uh, sometimes I would jailbreak my device and there'd be stability issues. There'd be all these different issues. And it wasn't a matter of reflashing or anything. It's that the jailbreak was just not that stable and it was causing issues on my phone. And I know that because later on, there would be, if I tried re-jailbreaking it with the same type of thing, I still had issues. But if an update came out for that jailbreak and I jailbroke it with that new update file, it was fine afterwards. And it worked like a stock, like a perfectly stocked device that I have, you know, extra system access over. Well, and I'm not going to speak to jailbreaks, you know, from the last few years, last couple of years, because I really haven't been in that scene. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if anything has changed. But the way that most of those tweaks that you used before worked, um, basically because they could not modify the underlying system, they would inject their code on top of the system and kind of overwrite what was going on in memory. Right. Um, so that added more resources, I suppose, to the whole mix. Uh, so 
if you continue to pile on tweaks, different jailbreak, you know, features and whatnot, your phone would get increasingly less stable because each of these tweaks were not designed to work with each other and they're stacking more and more code on top of each other. So it was just inherently a less stable, less uh, cohesive product in general. Whereas most Android ROMs and whatnot, they're actually changed at the source code level and compiled with those feature changes. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if you have bugs with two features being compatible with each other, you can address them at that point instead of just, you know, coming across it by chance when a user happens to install both features. Right. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I'm still all for, you know, freedom with unlocking your devices, jailbreaking them and all that stuff. But it's definitely, I mean, just kind of to sum it up there, it's more, I'm at least happy. I don't, because I, I have a iOS device for work and I just keep that completely stock. And honestly, I, I tell people I, if they gave me a BlackBerry, that'd be fine. I just need it for calls, text and email at that point. A BlackBerry might be even better because I'll have the physical keyboard. Uh, point is on there. I just like that, you know, with, with Android, you do have that freedom of rooting for the most part, you know, the only time it's really locked down is if it's a Samsung device and you're not going through a process of waiting or, you know, a more hacky process with anything else, like some of the more um, advanced jailbreaks that might've been out there. Now, I mean, the Pangu, whenever they release something, it's pretty much just, you know, a, a, a one-stop shop where you plug in your device, you're supposed to back it up. It's recommended to, and then you just hit a button and it jailbreaks. Yeah. I mean, I suppose it's kind of the Apple way, if you will, but um, from what I've seen, most of the jailbreak developers do a really good job of making the process as simple as possible, mm -hmm. which I can respect. I think even the most advanced thing I ever did was like I had to download the uh, update file separately and then load it into the program, and then it ended up po it ended up pwning it, and then I end up flashing that pwned version of the uh, update file to my phone, and that was it. Yeah, so that's no. that's the most advanced thing i ever had to do really they they do a good job for the end user you know cleaning all that up yeah absolutely agree i actually I totally remember doing that as well it's been yeah. a while but it's fun I, stuff I, it wasn't lime rain because geohots were always geohot always prided himself on you know just one touch that was about it even when he released yeah. tau root it was you download tau root you press a button device restarts you have root right i never did get to try tau root but I did it because I think my tablet was not playing nicely when I flashed Super SU. So I was like, you know what? Fine, screw this. Uh, I'm going to... Tau Root worked better than that at that point. It might have been a glitch with my tablet, but point is, I remember I just downloaded Tau Root, hit the button, it restarted, I had Root, I went to the store, downloaded Super SU, done. Well, and I mean, it's developed by GeoHot. It probably had quite a few different uh, checks and measures to make sure everything was in line. So if something went wrong at all or something wasn't perfect, it probably compensated for that. Yeah, I, I mean, he he made a really good app with that. And it was really just, it was going to restart regardless. And it was more one of those things where it's like, hey, you know, if if it, this can if this can root your device, when you restart, you'll have root. If it can't, you're still going to have the same device. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's see. Next up here. Um, Devin, how much did you like the Dreamcast, or what was your experience with it? Oh, yeah. The Dreamcast has a special place in my heart. Um, there's definitely a, a few games on there that are going to just... Uh, I'm going to remember them forever. I'm going to come back and play them. Sonic Adventure, 
Jet Grind <laughs> or Jet Set Radio, depending on, you know, what you prefer. There's Shenmue, so many. And that console was modded to just no end. It was insane. There was pretty much no protection on it, from what I understand. I actually there there was protection like fun fun little history lesson there. Um, a lot of people think there was no protection just because you could I mean correct me if I'm wrong, but you could go online, download a game, burn it, and pop it in, right? Correct. Uh, actually, what they did with that was um, GD ROMs. GD ROMs themselves. That's what Sega used. To this day, they still haven't been cracked. Like you cannot burn off a GD ROM in the same format. You can't get a self booting one. Um, you can't do that. What they did, though, was for old karaoke CDs, they used a format called Mill CD, and the Dreamcast was compatible with this Mill CD format. So what people ended up doing was they saw, like, when they hacked into the Dreamcast, they're like, oh, well, Mill CD works. You can transfer data through Mill CD. What if we dump the contents of this game, repackage it as a Mill CD, put the image out there, burn it onto a disc, and play the game as a mill CD as opposed to a GD-ROM. And I take it it worked. Yes, because that every every burned Dreamcast game you're going to download or every unauthorized copy is technically a um, it's technically a mill CD. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. So you're literally playing. I mean, it's the same game. Don't get me wrong. It's going to be downsampled and all that. But you are literally playing a different format. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. Then, do you have any idea how the whole emulator scene worked with that because i know that emulators were relatively popular on i don't know how they coded the emulators but i mean they use the same way where all all discs that you can boot up and play on the dreamcast use that mill cd exploit yeah i suppose huh that's really interesting yeah i know that but yeah in general it was an amazing console i still have one somewhere in my mom's place or something i know i still have one around and i still have some some games but yeah I'll, i'll play that thing forever yeah, Wait, it's, it's a great system. The reason why I was uh, mentioning it, and we, we weren't just going down memory lane here. Uh, this is actually something I wanted to uh, bring up uh, here briefly. But have you ever heard of this game, Devin? It's uh, Millennium Racer Y2K Fighters. Well, not before this news. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the link will be down in the description talking about this here. But essentially, the story is, and I, I just tell my manager about this, and we were just kind of all... My, he was mind blown about it just because these are these are things that happen. We the other day we got into a talk about preservation, and I've talked about preservation a little bit here on the uh, on the channel and on mod chat. And uh, essentially, you know, there are he was just telling me his frustrations with there are certain games that he cannot play. Like for example, Titanfall, the original Titanfall, uh, it's multiplayer only. It requires servers to play online, and when those servers go offline, you can't ever play the original Titanfall again unless it somehow gets hacked up. Um, Reason why I was bringing this up here is because there was one gentleman, uh, I believe it's this guy right here, uh, Korean84, I believe that's how I say his name. Uh, He loves the Dreamcast. He ended up purchasing a Katana dev kit, which is a Dreamcast dev kit. Katana was the code name for it. And he found some files on the hard drive. The files are for this game called Millennium Racer Y2K Fighters, which was complete. It wasn't an alpha build. It wasn't a beta build. It was a complete game. The reason why this was never released is because it was going to be released near the end of the Dreamcast life cycle. The Dreamcast, unfortunately, at the end of its life, really crashed and burned, so companies didn't want to waste money putting that stuff out there. So they had this game complete sitting on dev kits 
and they just decided to not release it. So what this person, I believe they're called, yeah, their username's Japanese Cake. What they did was they got a hold of these files. They ended up um, repackaging them. So they re-signed them to work on retail consoles as opposed to exclusively on dev kits. And uh, then they were able to make this region free, make it self-booting. Uh, they, of course, you know, put it into a GDI file. So it's much like they, they use the mill CD on there. And now we can play this game that almost no one had heard of. Right. I mean sounds like just minimal changes and you've got a brand new game yeah they even take a stab the wii u here they said yeah it it is a complete version cool right another brand new game the wii u is far from being that good <laughs> <laughs> poor rough. wii u yeah. yeah i mean uh yeah i mean we've seen things like this for various other consoles before but nothing nearly as complete mm -hmm. um from what I understand, this I mean this this was a on the PC at some point in the past. Yes. Uh, so maybe there wasn't as much work to port it over, but it's still incredible to have a fully functioning game. Mm -hmm. Again, like this was a game that yes, it did release. Like as you said, it came out on PC and it was going to have a Dreamcast release, but nobody like I'd never heard of it in you know Dreamcast circles and all. I'd never heard of this game before. It was really never mentioned, uh, at least in the mainstream when it came to different releases, unreleased games, all that fun stuff. Um, but again, somebody picked up a dev kit, and if you know if it got into the wrong hands, maybe they could have wiped the the system, and then that game would have been gone, uh, or maybe eventually if it just wasn't touched and nobody really cared about it the hard drive would have gone bunk on there and then we would have lost this game a point is this is a game that was complete was gonna come out got canceled finished game nobody had any idea about it and then it just now got released a few days ago yeah you're right i mean there's chances of that like surviving you know the test of time is pretty incredible uh so it's nice that we have it it's on the internet it's going to be there forever and dreamcast you know fanboys are having a great time. I Absolutely. Mean, and, and in fact, this is not the only game that's come out in the last, I don't know, couple of years. I know there's been a couple other games. Um, what was it? I can't, I can't remember the game, but a, uh, a Kickstarter, I believe. There was a Kickstarter for a Dreamcast game that was successful. There's been several uh, Dreamcast games that have been kickstarted. There's one, I think, um, this one's like a 3D, like 3D first-person shooter, which we really don't see because most of the games we see are shmups, which are you know just like similar to Galaga and other types of games um, and like 2D style games. But there's still a lot of de development going on on the Dreamcast to the point where, again, this system came out in. The first release, the first ever release was in Japan, 1998. It was essentially dead by 2001, I would say, and we are still getting releases into 2017, whether they be homebrew, they're all unofficial, don't get me wrong, but whether they be homebrew releases or games like this that got lost. Right. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, and the console is totally deserving of it. It was a it great is. console, and it's really nice to see this stuff living on and see people still have passion for the console. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's definitely a great passion. Like it's it's definitely a great console to have passion for as well, too. So I, I love that the Dreamcast is still alive in this way. It's it's just it's zombified now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can't forget the what were they called? The the little memory cards that had the screens on them. The VMUs. VMUs, that's right. Yeah. Yep. Oh man. I, I never used any individually. I know you could end up uh doing things like you could take uh 
they they had little mini games on them as well too so there were several games where they were all interactive like they showed some type of thing on the screen but there were several games that also had like mini games where i think even like the sonic adventure titles they had um you could raise your chow and stuff on there yep i had uh i had that game uh and i believe there was a jet grind radio one some kind i had a couple of those that i would carry around with me Mm mm-hmm yeah, I, I never got to do that, unfortunately. Even when I got my Dreamcast later, I was just like, eh, you know, I'm not... I'm, I, I heard they were... Were they bad, for, like, with battery life? I don't remember in particular. I don't really remember swapping them out constantly, but this was, like, what, 2000? Okay. <laughs> Something like that. I mean, it was a while ago, so uh, I don't really remember, but I don't feel like it had terrible battery life. Hmm. Yeah, I, I was told they didn't have the best battery life, and that it wasn't just like a AAA battery you could put in. It was like those little annoying watch batteries. Yep, the flat ones. I forget what they're yeah. called. But... Uh, that maybe like the CR2023 or something like that? Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah. Point is, they, were, they, they weren't just everyday batteries that people have around. Right. Yeah. All right. So... Next thing we can kind of bring up on here, Devin, how uh, how much have you looked into emulation? Uh, that seems like a broad statement. I mean, I've emulated a lot of things. Okay. But uh, I don't know about the one that you're talking about. Uh, this would be the, um, this one, it is, uh, I haven't tried this myself personally, but it is uh, RPCS3. Sounds like a PS- PS3 emulator. It is, it is. Yeah, yeah, there's. Oh, go I haven't ahead. touched anything like that. Uh, I think probably the uh, newest console I've tried to emulate is like the PS2. Briefly, mm-hmm. I I haven't tried PS2 emulation on this computer, um, but I think it's for the most part it's pretty up to par. Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, at this point. Yeah, no. The reason why this is uh, this is important as well too is because um, this was again from another uh, article on Wolo where he was talking about uh, RPCS three, um, and I'll even share my screen here for anybody who is watching. And if you are, thank you very much again. It's much appreciated. But um, no, what they've done is they've been able to get like right here. They have a compatibility list, and as quoted here, almost ninety four games are considered playable, and more than three hundred additional games that can load properly. So we are seeing games that can actually load on here. And granted, you do need quite a um, quite a beefy PC as well, too. I'm even looking at this right now. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm looking at this here. This is Persona Five apparently, and this game can boot. But if you look in the corner, which you might not be able to see, it is running at 2.92 frames per second. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's booting, at least. <laughs> yeah. But still, this is definitely like, I think the last time I looked into uh, RPCS3, it was a few years ago. I never tried it myself, but it was a few years ago. And uh, it was definitely not up to par like it is right now. Yeah, it's always interesting to see how these emulators develop, too. Um, it seems like typically there's two major ways to go about developing uh, an emulator. You can either work on the emulator and try and make as many games compatible as possible. Um, some people would say that's kind of doing a right, even if it takes longer to get what you want to play. Or mm-hmm. hyper-focus on a few games that are the most popular for the system that you know people are going to want to play. And the latter, that's kind of what they, like, that, that's almost kind of like PS1, PS2 versus N64 in that way. 
Right. N64 is, seems pretty hyper-focused. Yeah. By the way, I also, want to, I also want to mention on here, um, if, if you're watching this, the, the link's going to be down below when this uh, podcast is over. Um, but apparently they even said that um, this is playable right here. This is a Spyro game. But I'm looking at this, it's playing at over 30 frames per second, and it looks great. I mean, it does look good, yeah. And if yeah. they can like round out the frame rate, it, it would be a pretty sweet play. Mm -hmm. Well, even so, like it, since it's a console game, you know, just playing around 30 frames a second, that's still playable. I know some people might chastise me for that, but hey, I, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Some of yeah. us have had, you know, lower-end PCs in the past. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. you gotta work with what you got. Not even lower in PCs. It's like I play on console, so it's like 30 frames a second really doesn't bug me. On PC, though, <laughs> I do want 60 frames. If I'm playing a console game, I don't mind all that much. So Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, when it came to... I forgot what I was going to say here. But no, it's just I've been extremely impressed to see how far this has come along. I haven't seen any development on Xenia, which was the Xbox 360 emulator. And that's been in... Uh, that's been in development for a good amount of time. The last time I saw it, there are games that are booting up and that are playable, uh, but there's nothing that you can really, you know, fully complete on there, unfortunately. Interesting. Yeah, like I said, I haven't looked into it too much. Um, I don't know. There hasn't been too many games in the Xbox 360, PS3, or even this current generation that I've been dying to play um, that I'd want to go through the hassle of trying to emulate a new console. Mm -hmm. But... I don't know, it takes time. Yeah, it absolutely does. I mean, the PS3, what we're seeing, like, good emulation on it now, 11 years after it has launched. Right. Yeah. Which is appropriate, I think. You know, it's uh, it can be bittersweet when a newer console gets emulated too quickly. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose to some people, it may, you know, make it harder to justify buying the console. Yeah, that that actually happened with the uh, with the Wii U as well. Unfortunately, um, I mean now we're we're seeing a uh, Simu, which we're gonna talk about here in a bit. Um, but I remember it, Simu, and the first version of Simu. Uh, I, I say Simu, it could be CEMU. Um, how do you say it? Yeah, I've kind of seen it as CMU. Okay, so Simu sounds I'm... like a like a sea cow. Yeah. The Wii U emulator, there. Um, <laughs> but no, it. Uh, I remember it launched around the same time, like with almost within a week of loading going on the Wii U. So within about the same week, you were able to play backups and pirated games and stuff on the Wii U console, or you could emulate them. I remember it was funny, though, because when this was announced, I want to say it was... Do you know how long ago loading came out? I think it was maybe like a year and a half ago. Yeah, I'd say it's about right. Okay. Um, because uh, I, I remember at the time it was funny because I, I even said this. I was like, the emulation's not, well, not with loading, but like with uh, the emulator. I said, it's not impressive right now because there's games that could barely boot and they're running at like 10 frames. And I said, just wait, it's gonna, you know, get more development on it. And people were saying, they're like, oh no, it's stupid. Like there were two groups of people. I, I didn't see anyone who really looked into the middle of it, which was incredibly disappointing. There were people that said, oh, this is great. Now I'm not gonna have to buy a Wii U at all. And there were other people that said, oh, this is horseshit. Because games are only running at 10 frames a second. This, what, what, no, this is not worth it at all. And it's like, first, I, I would still recommend getting the console just to have it there. And then second, the other thing is, it's early emulation. And for what it was at the time, it was extremely impressive for a system that had been out for only a few years and that it was being emulated at that point. Plus, it's been getting updates every two weeks and every single one is quite exponential. 
I mean, we're at the point now where just over a year after its launch, there are games that are playable on the Wii U. You can upscale, not upscale them, but you can play them at higher resolutions, full frame rates, or even higher frame rates perfectly on your PC. Right. It's pretty incredible. Mm -hmm. For the record, it looks like loading came out in... Looks like maybe the first release was in October of 2015, so you're pretty much right. Okay, so um, about a year and a half? Yeah, loading GX2, the first open beta was released in February 2016. So, mm -hmm. Which seems to be probably more the, the more common version that was used. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I remember even at that time, like, loading was complex a, a decent amount complex and kind of like the uh, to use and then also the compatibility wasn't the best on there but even that has definitely well not spiral out of control it's just it's it's definitely improved yeah absolutely yeah but yeah no there's been um what was it i was uh like we've mentioned that i, I will come back to that because i have a good amount to talk about on there i wanted to briefly mention this um this would be the uh the game save editor for ps4 now devin have you have you looked into this at all or have you heard of this uh game save emulator specifically not emulator getting off that topic the uh the editor specifically the uh, cyber gadget one uh no i haven't i don't keep up with the ps4 news that much since i don't own one like i just mentioned uh, and to be honest i've only messed with save editors you know very briefly in the past. So uh, I'm not like the most familiar with them either. Right. Yeah, no, essentially what uh, what happened with this here was uh, I want to bring it up because we've talked about it a few times, or at least Daniel and I, we've talked about it on Mod Chat here and the people were familiar with it. This was the save editor, the first one that was announced. And I think it was like $70 or so, um, which is, that's pricey, man. That's pricey. Yeah, that is really yeah. The, not only that, but the limitation on it as well, too, was that uh, it only worked since it was released for Japan. Um, it didn't have region free. Um, like It didn't work with all the regions of games. It only worked with Japanese versions of those games. Um, plus, you had to pay for it. You only got like a license or you can get three licenses, whatever it was on there. Uh, but recently, with the latest 4.5 PS4 updates, uh, it is not working right now. Um, so any pretty much any saves that you copy over and try and load on here, they show as corrupted. Uh, they've hinted that they have a way of fixing it. Um, so this is just going to get updated later on eventually. Uh, but the main thing about it is there's a few things that you can do. Um, one of them, uh, you can... They found ways to still do this. Essentially, if you have a older PS, a PS4 on an older firmware and you use something called PS4, proxy i believe that's what it is um so you essentially connect to ps proxy and it's able to get you connected onto psn and you don't have to update your firmware you can transfer theoretically you can transfer a game save from a 4.5 ps4 to your cloud storage and then go on to your lower firmware ps4 and download that save copy it all to a flash drive and run it on the save editor here uh the reason why that process is so exact is because they've nailed down that the new encryption process, I guess you can say it in that way, the, the new way either saves are like hashed and signed or encrypted, um, it has to do specifically with the transfer to another storage medium. So when they are on the drive, they're still the same. When they are uploaded to cloud and even downloaded, they're still the same. But when they are actually transferred to a flash drive or some other type of storage media, that is where it changes. Really? Yeah. 
That's interesting. I mean, I, I could understand the change happening when it goes from the cloud to the older console because the older console wouldn't potentially have the code to support that new encryption. Um, but that is very interesting. Yeah, I thought it was a neat way of doing it. Interesting. I'm not sure why they didn't just change the encryption overall on the save. Um, it sounds like, you know, they sounds like the developers, they they at least know what is causing the change, and hopefully they do have a fix for it. But still, I just thought it was neat that you could still use those saves on the... I, I didn't think that they would be backwards compatible on older firmwares. Yeah, that's really surprising. And to be honest, mm -hmm. I don't understand why they don't... They don't... I mean, I, I, I can understand using a PlayStation or the PS Proxy or whatever it was called to bypass the need to update your firmware but they're still then it sounds like they're supporting it somehow it's that's interesting that's very weird mm -hmm. yeah i think they just for some reason they felt the need to i'm sure they wanted to stop this so they changed the way that the save is encrypted when it's copied over to a flash drive but they didn't see the need to change the encryption on the actual physical or cloud storage itself not sure why yeah, I don't know. We'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. Sounds Maybe they like just didn't have the time to. I have no idea. It's possible, and it's hard to think of everything when you're testing these things. Obviously, there are really creative people out there, and a lot more of them than there are, you know, testers. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I guess it's good for the people who pay for the product because it's always, you know, I'm all for supporting people who put their effort into doing stuff like this, but it is a bummer when you pay for a product like this and then you can no longer use it. Right. At least they're going to be supporting it in some way. So hopefully because it's monetized that they're actually going to go through with supporting it on there. Unlike something like, I don't know, like the, do you remember the R4 cards, for example, um, mainly on like the DSi and the 3DS? It was, it was really spotty how well they would be supported. Uh, I didn't really... I didn't have a DSi, and I didn't jump on the 3DS. And by the time I got it on the DS, it was already well-supported enough that there really wasn't a whole lot of work to put in or a whole lot of updates to be done. Yeah. I mean, those those were still okay for the most part, but it's more, uh, like for the 3DS, for example, because I had a 3DS before I had a DS. If you got an R4 card, you can get one for the 3DS, and it was only supported. They would, they would patch it for a little bit. Like, R4 just has a habit of they would patch their cards for a little bit, and probably after like six months or a year or so, they would stop patching them and you had to get the new cards. Interesting. On top of that as well, too, it's near impossible to find out where the true, legit R4 cartridges come from. That is true. They had the worst <laughs> problem with counterfeits. Yeah. Um, on top of that, I've even been told that counterfeits are made in these same factories that press the legit versions as well. So. I, I find well, it funny. I do remember I got some, I had a couple R4 cards and I heard about these counterfeits a little while after I had been using mine. And there, I can't remember what it was exactly. There was a couple telltale signs, you know what I mean? Like on the cartridge and uh, my cartridge fit the description of a fake. And I was like, hmm, well, it works. Yeah. I <laughs> just kept using it. You know what? <laughs> I will. Yeah. Um, didn't cost me an arm and a leg, and it works, so... At least it wasn't something like Gateway, where if you're using a fake version of the Gateway with their firmware, then you could brick your system. <laughs> yeah, that's... That's... That's kind of rough. Brickway. If they can get to the point of bricking their system, I think it would have been better if they put in 
almost like a piece of code to just block it. Uh, so then, it, use it or... then it could have been bypassed. I mean, if if it's built by man, it can be destroyed by man. It's true. But breaking yeah. a console is that. Yeah, no, that was that. The funny thing is, I remember as well, too, um, there were other cards, I think, like MT card and pretty much all the clone gateways. I remember there was one update specifically that was causing those bricks on counterfeit or, you know, clone gateway cards. And if you looked at the sites that had and sold those uh, and supported those clone cards, they even said, like, do not. This is the maximum update you can use. Do not use any update higher than this. And I'm like, right. you're you're just not wanting to tell people that if they update to that version they can brick because this is a fake or counterfeit or rebranded gateway card yeah and those were always seemed sketchy too it seemed like you know gateway wasn't always the best with updates and those cards seemed to be even worse you know they they were good for a bit like they were they were always slower but when there was nothing else going on in the scene they were good like whenever they issued an update it packed with features they were they were listening to their user base and everything but it really went downhill when arm 9 loader hacks came out because then it got to the point where they were just stealing they pretty much stole the method for arm 9 loader hacks and rebranded it and put it into their gateway stuff but it wasn't nearly as good and i remember i read the instructions it was much harder than regular arm 9 loader hacks yeah, I just look now in Gateway, they had an update with, they had an update on February 13th. It seemed like uh, their updates as the last, I don't know, six months at least have pretty much consisted of patching their feature to work on the new latest Immunant. Mm -hmm. That's about it. And they had like ARM9 loader hacks and beta, which was breaking consoles and all that. And the last update here which is titled 11.3 Emunand, actually says, yeah. Oh, wait, so 11.3 does work on Gateway now? No, they actually came out to said, yeah, it doesn't work. Oh, okay, okay. Please don't update until you hear confirmation here. So okay. they're <laughs> slowly just trickling off. But I'm surprised. I mean, they're still doing updates. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's even so, like, honest. I, I will say straight up, like, I did enjoy how Gateway worked, and I thought that it was, you know, a clean interface and everything. It's just the company's had some shady practices, and then even now at this point, um, with how freely and easily you can get a hold of a 3DS modify it, and you know, not you don't have to use a flash cart at this point. You don't have to use Sky 3DS. You don't have to use a Gateway. You don't have to use any of the clones. So at this point, I just don't see why people would be using gateway especially since now and you know the whole 3ds scene that's no longer the standard so you're actually going to make it harder on yourself if you're using a gateway well i'll tell you why because um a lot of people treat their game saves as more valuable than their hacks that is true i did yeah. transfer like i did i i did switch up my brothers from gateway to arm 9 loader hacks and uh I looked into it. I still had a need to do it, and they've been bugging me for it. And like next time I see them, I'll do it. But it is a lengthy process to transfer your gateway saves into, like, convert them into regular saves that you can use on installed games. Right, and there is two different kinds of saves: card one and card two, and they have their own technical weirdnesses about them. So mm -hmm. one is harder to convert than the other. Yeah, it's it's definitely a chore. Mm -hmm. It is, it is. But Arm 9 Loader Hacks is also so much nicer. Oh, yeah, you can't beat being able to boot up your console every single time. Well, you can with SIG Hacks, whenever we see the full fruition of that. Yeah, 
to be honest. I'd rather them just spend their time on the Switch. But <laughs> I think that's probably what people are doing as well, too. If they're not hacking up the Switch, they're playing the Switch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Maybe, okay. Here is why we're not going to see hacks on the Switch for a while, because people are going to spend way too much time playing Legend of Zelda. They can't yeah. be bothered to make hacks. Uh, I remember at the last... Um, that that last like hacker conference that was in um where was it germany um where i think uh nedwill and a few other guys they they did a whole big you know uh wii u and 3ds discussion um which we had so, talked about briefly c3 or whatever c3 yeah it was like 34 c3 or something like that yeah yeah so the c3 conference um i remember i caught the last bit of it and at one point you know one of the people who had worked on the wii u there was a guy who asked him he was like you know you spend all this time working on the wii u and i would like to know how much time you spend playing games on it and the crowd kind of laughed and then the developer who did this he's like uh i can confirm i own zero games on the wii u oh gosh <laughs> well i mean i can't say i own zero games for a console i have but Often I do feel like the consoles that I uh, that I own, I spend more time hacking than I do playing. Yeah, uh, that, depending on why, where it is. Yeah, no, that's why. Like with the Switch, I haven't even tried you know D and Switch or anything else because I've just had a lot of time. Like I've had a lot of fun playing the console, but like 3DS, especially um, Xbox 360. I, I, Xbox 360, I spent like about half and half, you know, hacking up the system and playing it. But like 3DS and PSP, I definitely spent more time, you know, messing around with them. Well, yeah, PSP for sure for me. I remember there were times where I'd actually like go look through my library of games because I wanted to play something, and I was like, oh, dang, man, I really don't feel like playing any of this right now. And I even recently downloaded a PSP emulator on my phone, and I was like, oh, I'm going to go relive a bunch of the games I played before. And there was a few I had on mine, but honestly, I was like, wait, I forgot. The reason why I like this console so much wasn't because of the games necessarily. It was because I like, enjoyed hacking it. Yo, Loco Roco is the shit, though. I'll say that. It was. It yeah, was. I've beat that game like three or four times. It's such a fun it's game. So amazing. Yeah. Uh, my other favorite games on the PSP were actually all online, which is kind of a bummer because. Dead. Yep. Maybe yeah. you could do something like X Link, but X Link isn't exactly super popular either. Yeah. I. I don't. I, I've seen some tunnel stuff for the PSP, but I don't know what would be up to standard at this point, to be honest. Yeah, I don't keep up with it enough to know either. Yeah, unfortunately. Anyways, uh, last things on here, we were going to talk about the uh, Devin. How, how do you say the Wii U emulator name? CMU. CMU. There. CMU. Uh, first off, this is just kind of a brief thing that we're talking about, and. Um, this is one of these things where, you know, we want to talk about the feature and such, uh, at least. But uh, let me go ahead, load it up on here. This is a, it was an article from PC Gamer that I checked out. And right now it's saying, you know, it's it's running at about 15 frames a second. So around half the speed or maybe even depending on high environment areas, I don't know, 75% of the speed or so. <laughs> yeah. Because it can drop down like 20 easily. But uh, no, they now have um, Breath of the Wild working on uh, CMU. And uh, hopefully I'm saying that right. They, they have it working on there. It's booting up. You can actually play it. Um, it looks nice. You can play it up to 4K. Yeah, it's not the best running game, but it's also a game that just came out. Um, it's one of the more technically advanced games for the Wii U. And honestly, uh, I'd, I'd say the next two or three months, it's going to be totally playable, like 30 frames stable. I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that. 
mean, this is absolutely incredible. Uh, this is one of the other reasons why, like, normally I'd be like, there's no way that this is going to, you know, you wouldn't have an emulator like this this early. The console couldn't be hacked this early, but we're, we're seeing exploits and and emulation already. It's it's pretty incredible. But one thing it, I want to ask you looks, if... It looks really nice, too. I mean, yeah, don't the, the fluidity is not there. Don't get me wrong, but, like, this looks great. It does. One thing I've noticed is that the bushes, especially, the models don't seem to be made with 4K in mind, which is understandable. So they look a little bit funny, but it's not because of the fault of the emulation. It's because of the fault of the hardware they were placed on. And you know, Of course. Of course. So on. Yeah, I know they had to deal with those limitations. So it, it makes sense. Now, one thing I want to ask you is um, if you know any information on how easy this was to get running. Because CMU was the Wii U emulator, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, as far as I know, the Switch is based on a completely different hardware architecture. I believe CMU so, because are. Wii U was a power PC. Yeah, and this is running on ARM, you know, uh, built by NVIDIA. Mm -hmm. But the OS must be, or the whatever engine, SDK, whatever, must be very similar. Uh, on with on a uh, switch versus Wii U, mm -hmm. like, how else oh, would they be? I mean, how else would they have the emulator working so quickly? Oh, I suppose. Wait, this is Breath of the Wild for Wii U, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. No, it's not Switch. It's Wii U. Oh goodness. That, <laughs> yeah. No, that's that, why I was. I was thinking. I was like, wait, are you are you asking how hard it was to develop for both see, systems at the same time? I've been too siloed. I've been thinking about the Switch for two weeks. I completely Damn forgot you, that Switch. Actually, <laughs> I completely forgot it came out on the Wii U for a while. Holy cow. <laughs> All right. Scratch everything I just said. Okay. No, it but good. I mean, it regardless, so it's impressive. Mm -hmm. It's been out for two weeks and we're already seeing this and uh, it does look good. I mean, I think it's be a great game to play on the PC, to be honest. Uh, Absolutely. Good. Some people good. actually, some people actually asked me because I got a new um, GPU as well. So some were just like, "Hey, are you going to be playing Breath of the Wild on your PC?" I was like, "I'd rather for like I'm I'm really enjoying it on the Switch, and also it's even though it's the lower fidelity version and like the dirtier version compared to what the PC version is going to achieve later on. I like like my desktop here. It's stationary. I'm not going to be moving it around. While it's with the Switch, it's like I can you know play right here. I can take it off. I can go around. Like it's the process and the experience of the Switch that I'm liking more. So more than likely, once it's more playable, I'll probably give it a try. Um, definitely when I beat Zelda, whenever I do beat that on the Switch, um, I don't know if I'm going to do a full playthrough, but I'll definitely play a bit of it on PC because I'd like to see how well it runs. Um, but I'm not going to, you know, stop my Switch playthrough and then do a whole new playthrough on PC. Especially since there's not a way to transfer saves. Yeah, I totally agree, which is a whole other problem that we can go into. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, probably one of the few downsides of the Switch. Oh, yeah. For, for anybody who does not know, um, you right now, I don't know if this was laziness or they just didn't want save game transfers and save game exploits happening. But right now, you cannot move between storage. So, for example, right now, uh, I have I don't have an SD card on my uh, like a micro SD card. I don't have one on my Switch. So that means my save data and my updates are on the Switch internal memory. If I put in a SD card right now, I cannot transfer any of that over to or from the SD card. So I think exploits could be 
part of the issue, but um, I also understand another angle. Uh, so the data that's stored on the Switch SD cards, from what I understand, is very similar to the data that's stored on the 3DS SD cards. Oh, Jesus. So they're basically encrypted with the console's private key and can only be decrypted with that console. Um, so okay. putting the game save on the SD card, while maybe you'd say, well, why don't they give you the option? Yeah, that's a fair argument. But in general, you put it on there, if you get a new Switch, you still can't transfer your game save. Yeah, yeah. No, now, right now, like, my Legend of Zelda saves are stuck unless Nintendo changes it or there's a modification that comes out that allows me to do so. Otherwise, my saves are stuck on my Switch. Right, but with the way the SD cards work, even if you could put it on the SD card, if you put that SD card on into a new Switch, it's not gonna, it wouldn't read the games or the game saves anyway. Yes, that is true. So, you know... And then it's a matter of, okay, would you only decrypt just the game save and leave all your game data encrypted? But that also leaves it wide open to hacking. So it's difficult. And then um, on top of that, I could see some kind of complications with managing, you know, juggling SD cards. If you had a game save on one SD card and then you swapped it out for a different SD card that had a different game on it, because that is a convenience of a Switch, not a problem. Yeah. Then you could run into issues. Uh where you go to play a cartridge game that you swapped your game save to the SD card and now it's not there. So um, I, I kind of see why they chose this route right now. I think there's a few questions to be answered and they haven't probably just figured out exactly how they want to do it yet. They stopped me from transferring my saves and data, yet they include a old, outdated, exploitable internet browser on there. Good job. Winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I can't really, I, I don't know. I can't make excuses for that. I'm right there yeah. with you. Yeah. No, the, uh, I guess the, the, the last thing on here as well too. So we discussed this and then, you know, after, after this little topic discussion, discussion, I guess we'll, uh, we'll be taking some user questions and all that, um, as we always do. But, uh, I wanted to point you all to this. So this is the, uh, CMU, uh, Patreon page. And in case you don't know, uh, CMU, it is uh, supported by users and such and Patreon or patrons um, who donate money per month and they get all these different things. So you got three different tiers. You know, $1, you get access to news. Uh, $5, you end up getting the release versions one week before they go public. And then $10, you get mentioned as a supporter. So it seems pretty neat. Um, the thing is, though, Devin, do you see how much they're making per month? Well, 21000 That's a lot. approximately. Yeah, that's a lot of money. That's a lot. That's a lot of money. I, I, I kind of wanted to ask, not, not only you all, um, <laughs> but I, like, I, well, you, Devin, but not also the chat as well, too. Um, like what you all think of this, because I, I see the support behind it at this point. Um, I understand that, you know, this is a passion project and these guys, the people who work on it, it's a team and they are taking their own free time to develop this, work on it, advanced even further. Uh, and that's definitely much appreciated. Now, when there is a monetary incentive on that, that also incentivizes them to, hey, I'm actually getting paid for this. I should allocate more time to this project. This will allow me to do other things. Um, however, at what point does it become not okay, I, I guess I can ask, like to, to pay for this? Because even so, then you're not... 
technically, the thing I'm thinking of is technically you're really not breaking too much stuff because they're not supplying you with any ROMs. They're not supplying you with any games. Uh, however, and, and they're, they're, from what I know, there's no copyrighted code. Like they didn't just rip the Wii U NAND onto here and, you know, rip it apart. Uh, there's no copyrighted code as a part of this. Um, however, emulators have always been kind of touchy. And one thing, like, Devin, have you ever heard of Bleem? No, I don't believe so. PlayStation 1 emulator, about the same thing, except it was not donations. You could actually buy it. It was, it, they didn't use any copyrighted code. It was deemed to be, it was proven and deemed to be a legal emulator. However, what happened was Sony took them to court, and despite Sony losing, they ended up just, you know, they kept filing lawsuits to the point where Bleem closed down and went bankrupt. Just legally and financially pressuring them out of yeah. doing yeah. what they're doing. Yeah, no, that's exactly what they did. Like, yeah, in the end, Bleem won, but they didn't have any money to continue. Yeah, I mean, I can see it happening. I'm not terribly surprised. It's kind of a shame. Mm -hmm. uh, going off what you were saying, you know, emulators are a really touchy subject. Some emulators use copyrighted code more than others. Um, so, but in general, you're still kind of piggybacking off other people's work. Now, I will say that if there is a demand, um, these people obviously want this. It's as long as they're doing their due diligence and providing updates, it's hard to, I don't know, it's hard to think badly about this. Um, I, I think the, the thing I'm a little bit concerned with, you could say in a way, is what is to stop other emulator developers from kind of doing the same thing where they might start up a patreon and they might you know they, they all accept donations but they might set start up a patreon try and monetize it inadvertently in some way but then they'll start saying oh well, i'm not going to implement this feature until i get this much money or i'm not going to allocate this much more work to it until i get this much like they'll they'll start I don't want to say extorting in a way, but they'll be requesting more funds to include more features in there. And even to the point where they're like barred off and say, you know, if I'm not getting this much, it's really not a big priority to me. I'm not going to be doing this. Well, there's two things to that, in my opinion. Um, first of all, I think that um, I think the community is going to come and, you know, decide, I suppose. Uh, this is going to be a lesson that the internet's going to have to learn. These new subscription payments and stuff like that. It's kind of a new paradigm that we're seeing, or at least one that's newly coming to prominence. Uh, there's a lot more podcasters, a lot more content creators using these services like Patreon to get these monthly payments to basically pay their salary. Maybe not salary, you know, you know but pay their, their way. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's going to be something that the internet community as a whole is going to have to learn their lesson for what is legit, what's really worth your dollar, especially as with these things um, start accumulating in your life, you know, donating to one podcast or this thing may not seem like much, but when that's, you know, when you're doing 20 things eventually, um, I think that's going to put various projects into perspective. And if a project ends up being malicious about it, I think in this kind of community in particular, people are going to rise up and people are going to be like, oh, well, you're going to charge for that? That's ludicrous. Here it is. I'm, I'm hoping so, because like so far, I, I've, I like Team Simu. I think what they're doing is acceptable. They're making a ton of money on there, and even like to, to access those features, it's not that much. And really the biggest one would be um, 
they're gonna they, they don't keep anything exclusive on there aside from shout outs for 10 bucks but really the only thing you're getting is if you pay five dollars or more per month you get the latest update a week ahead of everyone else. So if you're like me where I haven't even used uh, CMU, but if you're like me and you haven't donated anything, I'm going to get the update a week later. I'm still going to get it. There's nothing that's going to be exclusive to patrons. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's a good model to have. Um, and I wouldn't even, you know, think that necessarily beta testing or a few other features like that would really be a bad malicious thing to do because those people who are paying for it are obviously the ones that are the most passionate and might be the most receptive to a beta test or something like that mm -hmm. so yeah i think uh I, I think the only thing i'm really concerned with on there is um like you you kind of covered it but it's more if there are malicious developers or people that are trying to extort money i'll just flat out say it there like if there's some that start doing that um hopefully the community would most notably in this instant, really vote with their wallet and, you know, try and spread the knowledge on, hey, this is not right. This is not not only for the passion of it, but you shouldn't be, you know, brick walling and gating off these features unless you have a certain amount. Um, I more just don't want them to do something like DSP gaming or something where uh, are, you, are you familiar with him at all? No. Um, he pretty much, I mean, one of his ways of getting money is he goes through Patreon, but he's been criticized quite a bit for that, where he said, okay, you know, I need this much of my Patreon for this certain thing. And it was like a project he was working on. I think it was like Project 7. He was he was doing a big, you know, narrative of a Final Fantasy 7 review, and it, it seemed interesting, but he essentially said, you know, I need to get this much money so I could think about rebooting the series. And then he got that much money, he hit the goal, and he said, yeah, you know what, I'm gonna decide to not do it. And it's like, that is that is so shady, that is so much bait and switch right there. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, Kickstarters in general haven't been something that I've done very well, it's, much. It wasn't of. a Kickstarter, it was a Patreon. Or a Patreon, okay, well, either way, kind of, I guess, suppose crowdfunding as a whole mm -hmm. is something that I've been generally hesitant, hesitant towards. Um, I've only crowdfunded at all a couple of projects that I'm pretty happy about, but I crowdfunded Mighty Number no. Nine. Oh man, <laughs> it, it looked promising. It did. It did. It was supposed to be good. It was supposed to be great. But what happened? I don't know. At least it shipped. At least it shipped. Well, as to, to quote the developer, well, I feel like, I honestly feel like this is lost in translation a bit, but to quote the main developer, uh, Kinji Inafune, it's better than nothing. <laughs> Did they really say that? Well, when I say quote, he he said it in Japanese and someone translated it. I honestly feel like either, yeah, I, I they, they quoted him, but I honestly feel like either something was lost in translation or maybe that's not as offensive to say in this in this regard in Japan. I mean, Japanese people can be blunt. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. being straight up. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, on the other hand, you know, this isn't maybe a video game. There's differences there, but I have a co-worker who got a, uh, a Burr coffee hand grinder um, that I was really skeptical about when he brought it in, that it took almost two years to get from a Kickstarter. And mm -hmm. he's really into coffee, and he has several coffee grinders. None of them grind coffee like this, and actually grind it as coarse as it. And it, God, it tastes incredible. So, 
You never know. Sometimes it might be worth it. That's why um, on a previous episode, we talked about the retro blocks, which it looks like an incredible system, and I do want it. The problem is it's like right now you have to kickstart it, and it's just like, well, I've I've seen people get burned so many times with Kickstarters. I almost just, I want to support it and spear it and then buy it when it comes out. And if it's a good device, I'll give you my money. Well, and everything has its problem. Software has its issues. Hardware can change. It's a lot harder to ship. You know, there's a lot more that goes into it. Um, and it can become outdated by the time you get it because it takes so long for the Kickstarter to finish. Uh, just like the, uh, what was that little Android box? Um, hundred dollar. Yeah. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. It's like that. At the time when it when it was being kickstarted, Tega Three was incredible. By the time it came out, it was old. Right, it, and it was like, and that was I think right before a really big wave of cheap Android tablets too. Mm-hmm. So then we got cheap Android tablets. That's like, oh, so I can pay a hundred dollars for this outdated thing, or get better hardware, better graphics, and portability, and yeah. still play games. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know. I still don't have an Ouya to this day. I'd like, I like, if I find one for like twenty five bucks, I'll pick it up. But I've never seen them really go for uber cheap. They disappointed me. They made this whole thing where they sounded like they were going to have like a more of an open console. It was going to be more moddable, more hackable. The firmware was going to be more. When your debut game is Final Fantasy three, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've said for a while that I think Android's one of the better emulation platforms out there these days, but. Yeah. Yeah. Now we just need the switch to get emulators and we'll be in business. Aside from, you know, uh, well, like homebrew emulators, not virtual console. Both. Yeah, if a little we could virtual console injects, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. But that also has its problems. It gets kind of yeah. cumbersome. Yeah. Last thing I kind of want to say on this, uh, the whole like debate here was it seems like most people in the comment section, they're kind of in the same path where it's like, yeah, you know, as long as you're not explicitly charging for the emulator, seems to be okay and i think what team simu did was smart but um grimdo he was kind of talking about what i had uh what what i was thinking in my head at least where he said i'm surprised nintendo not all over this like they are with their videos on youtube i guess at what point do you think nintendo might start attacking this because the reason why i mentioned that amount of money is i'm not jealous of it like i i think they do deserve it but twenty one thousand dollars that is a lot of money and Especially now that Zelda, their their latest AAA game, has come out and it's being emulated, you know, well enough. Like it's it's going to be emulated perfectly here soon, I believe. Um, at what point could Nintendo look into it and be like, yeah, these guys are getting over twenty thousand dollars per month to kind of put a dent in our software profits? Yeah, you're right. I mean, when you start floating around cash like that, it does make a difference. Uh, and whether they have oh, some kind of legal loophole or they pressure them out, I think it's that's their biggest fear. I think I'm more worried about that than I am them doing having too much money or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I just I, I hope the best for them. Hopefully, it just kind of gets swept under the rug. But even so, we've seen where if you look at Nintendo's um, official, this is this has been up for debate quite a bit, but. Um, if you look at Nintendo's official rules, they say they're just like, we believe all emulation is illegal. And it's like, well, you're not really, you're not writing the laws there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're, their stance, they say that, according to them, they say all emulation is illegal and all ROMs are illegal. Except for their own. Yeah, which even, 
<laughs> even so, uh, we we talked about it on the last episode where it was shown that there is a extremely high chance that uh, the original Wii version of the Virtual Console Super Mario Bros. was from a pirated ROM. Yes, and- I have heard about this. <laughs> they found some kind of like basically a watermark. Yeah, yeah, it was in the header data. Yeah. And they're just like they, they they pretty much said they're like, is it possible that Nintendo got the same ROM ripping hardware and software that was used at the very beginning of all of this and ripped it in the same way, so therefore it produced the same type of data? Absolutely, it is possible. Is it probable? Most likely not. Surely they have. I mean, gosh, that's such a big franchise. You would think they would have you know, that code locked in a vault. Yeah, but then even so at this point, I honestly feel like it it could have been a thing where they had an intern working there and how how much easier is it? Like, do do I go through the right way and go through the proper channels in Nintendo headquarters to get the ROM? Or do I look up the game on Google, like Super Mario Bros. NES ROM and download it within two seconds and then patch it into this virtual console thing, slap some artwork, done. Especially because you know he probably downloaded it from that same site a hundred <laughs> times before. I know this one's good. I've played it a million times. I mean, come on. He probably had it on his computer already. <laughs> probably did. He probably did. His logic, hey, I'm working at Nintendo. It's fine. Right. <laughs> oh, I'm playing... I need to work on the game that I'm actually playing right now. Copy paste. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man. Anyways, I mean that's those are the uh, the topics we had. We're about an hour and a half in, so this is the time where normally we spend 30, 45 minutes or so uh, going over user questions. So if you all have any questions for us in the live chat right now, please ask us. Uh, ask away, and hopefully we'll get to them. Um, I see one we... right now. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, you, you, you can take that. Uh, yeah, uh, Galactic, am I still good at Rubik's Cubes? Yeah, I guess I'm still good. I mean, much better than <laughs> the average person. I can still kind of, uh, I don't know, the average normal Rubik's Cube I can solve in probably consistently 45 seconds. I could easily get under 30 seconds. Now, question is, can you solve them like Logic? Logic's pretty dang impressive. He makes yeah. me want to, like, there's a few, I mean, so... At a high level, there is tons of these different algorithms you can learn, and there's a way to like only learn a few and get it done, and you can keep learning more and more to get faster and faster. And he makes me want to complete it because I got like three quarters of the way there, and seeing logic do it, you know this while he's really, freestyling. While he's freestyling, a really respectable lyrical rapper freestyling well while solving a Rubik's cube. I just. He is my he is my inspiration. So yes, I can still solve them. Three by threes, four by fours, seven by sevens, pentagonal ones with twelve sides. I've got a number of them. I got a whole box at home. But I strive to be like logic. Yes. Yeah. No, uh next one here looks like uh Zach is asking, how soon do you think that emulator will be out? Depends which, on which emulator. I was going to ask which one he was talking about. If he's talking about uh, Simu, um, it's out. If you're a Patreon supporter, you'll get the updates a week early. Oh, if, so they do do that. Which, what do you mean? You get updates a week early. 
if you're yeah, no, they from what okay. I know, they update it every two weeks. But if you are supportive, if you pay five dollars or more per month, you will get those updates one week early. Now, Zach, he was running it on a GTX 1070, which is a that's pretty beefy oh, that's, graphics card. I have a 1080 Ti. I should try it. Ah, you you might squeeze oh. a few more frames out of there. I could I could get up to 20 frames, and then it'd be like the Wii U version. <laughs> oh gosh, I you haven't. It okay, and it'd be like the Switch version too, admittedly. So when docked, okay. Let's be clear. I've never seen it lag while undocked. Right? No, I've I've seen it lag several times. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Talk about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Exceed is asking: Are you Smash or Pass for Smash Four Switch? If it was just a remake of Wii U and 3DS One, no other Smash on Switch. Uh, so it depends. So I, I don't think they're going to do smash four because I've heard of rumors, which I think would be the perfect thing to do. Um, I've heard rumors that they're going to do melee. as a virtual console title. And oh, that'd be cool. I think and that I would, would be so many people would buy a switch for that. So not only that, but currently melee is still an incredibly viable esport. uh, game it's still getting a ton of attention uh if not more than smash 4 i don't really have numbers to back it up but it's still getting a ton of attention they're running that on gamecube discs on a wii both of those things are not going to last forever Mm -hmm. doing a virtual console with the same exact game just slap the rom in there on the switch holy cow would that not be a a, a huge big seller but that would also fuel esports it would. That's that's why I'm saying it'd be it'd be viable. So many people would pick it up. Although, the thing is as well too. I feel like just because of the emulation and because of everything else, like unless people like the Sears people won't want to get it unless there is a uh, GameCube controller adapter. And then if so, um, I know several people are still going to prefer to play either on um, either on the Wii or on the GameCube, uh, just because it's. I'm sure it's going to be well emulated, but. These are people we're talking about that count the frames per that second is, on there. They, th- that is crucial true. to them. So if it's off by a little bit, they're not going to play it competitively. On on yeah. Switch, at least. That is very true. Unless they're pressured out of it just for hardware reasons. Yeah. Um, I mean, people played Brawl competitively. <laughs> Come on. But, um... I didn't yeah, like I don't all know. the Smash Bros. stuff as much, so, like, I just know Brawl was uh, kind of the laughing stock for most people. A little bit. I mean... Melee I, was by far the most fast-paced Smash game, I, and I have I have a question for you. What would what would the and may, the people in chat here could answer on your own opinions as well too. We'll get to the other questions, but for for everyone here, what would be the better Smash game? Like, is is there truly one that's better than the other ones, or is it better because you grew up with that? Because I've noticed, for example, most people who believe Melee is the best. They grew up with Melee. Um, my younger brothers, for example, they grew up with Brawl. So their favorite Smash out of all of them is, well, they, they like Smash 4 more, I noticed, uh, like the, you know, the one on Wii U. Uh, but they have fond memories of Brawl. Uh, one of my brothers, he wanted to play the original Smash Bros. He wanted to play Melee. I got them for him. He tried them, and he stopped playing them after like 20, 30 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I would say, I mean, I think it's obviously all subjective. 
where people where people like melee it seems and which is very obvious when you play it is it is the most fast-paced game and it's the most responsive smash game out there um i think another element to it is the lack of patching that it is what it is and it's kind of got this meta that's nailed and so when new people come out of it i think it's more exciting than when balance changes are constantly happening in right. modern games so um which i don't think is necessarily nostalgia i think that's just the changing landscape of games but um very much so that's that's why brawl was such a terrible terrible release uh compared of compared to melee in terms of competitive play was because it was so much slower characters moved slower they were much less responsive it was it was almost floaty feeling to an extent at mm -hmm. times um I Go on. Oh, no, uh, no, I was going to say, because I, I think my per I, I really didn't grow up with these Smash games, unfortunately, but my favorite would probably honestly have to be uh, like Smash 4, the one on Wii U, um, just because I, I think it's a well-done game, um, and it's quite fun. I've spent the most time on it as well, too. Um, although I really, I've only had a few Smash session sessions with, you know, other friends and stuff, and I've never played it competitively, so. Well, I, I wouldn't say my friend plays it competitively, but he is very very good and when i told him that i had been playing smash 4 a lot he uh he invited me over and we played melee and instantly it felt like the game was two times faster i had to play really hard just to keep up with his movements mm -hmm. um so um you know better subjective but it's it's a in general much faster more responsive game right uh, and even to, for because I just realized I never answered the original question on here for for my choice, honestly I would, I would be on for a it'd be disappoint I I would rather have you know it'd be nice if we had a whole new Smash for um for the Switch, um but if we had to get Smash Four rehash like they did with Mario Kart I'd want it to get the same treatment I would want a full director's cut with all the extra content on uh on the Switch version. So, like, all the extra DLC characters, the DLC maps, all that stuff. And even if they add in some more stuff, the point is I would I would be okay with it if it was a truly complete version. Yeah, I agree. I think that they're going a really good direction with releasing a, a remake or an update to their game and getting all the content out there. I, mm -hmm. I think it's a really smart move, and I, I would tend to agree with that. Yeah. Um, Shadow of Colossus asked a, a few times here, when will a EMCC replacement for the Switch be? I'll tell you, both of us, we can speculate. We neither, unless you have secret information, Devin, neither of us know this. We are, we are not the people working on this. Yeah, personally, I'm not. Um, well, I am in software development and I have done some stuff in the homebrew scenes before. I'm usually not the person to create these exploits and when you get into hardware stuff like an emmc chip that's way outside my realm so um hopefully soon we'll see we'll see i'm, I'm literally echoing devin on that because i would he would know more about that than me admittedly on there yeah let's see uh next next one on here um hey so so grim is wanting to know if any of us could babysit for him for a price Okay, yeah, ask Devin. I, <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll babysit my brothers, but I don't. I'm not really keen on babysitting. Admittedly, it's all about the price, man. Yeah, that's true. All about that price. 
this one was for for me at least on here um this was uh james is asking do you still have 10 xbox 360s and what do i use them for um i i have more than 10 and uh no i just kind of have i don't you they don't get as much rotation now uh unfortunately i mean just because i'm on different games different systems and everything uh but it's more of just a collection to have i like collecting i, I do like console collecting and game collecting as well too if you look behind devon right there obviously so oh yeah hey <laughs> there's a lot of games yeah j just a few there's like there's a five there so mm. a small yeah. stack just just a few yeah you want to uh you want to take some of the questions on here yeah sure so here we are at uh let's see tasty snacks 12 i'll point this one to you quickly um have you tried master blaster zero yet i have not not heard of it i don't know if you know about i have i have heard of it i have not tried it i've been told it is very good though yeah um short and sweet so i'll riff off another one here um donald green are you going to buy a Switch, or are you going to buy and try Skyrim on Switch? And why is your answer no? That's an interesting loaded question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think it's pointed at you, so I'll let you answer it first. It's it, it's Skyrim on Switch. I mean, it's already Skyrim on a console, which I I do have remaster. I do have the remastered version on PS4. Um, but no, I don't. I would rather play the PS4 version. That actually, fun fact on the PS4 Pro does play in native 4K, not checkerboard, not upscaled native 4K. Uh, although it's also Skyrim base vanilla Skyrim in 4K, so it's not all that impressive. Um, but no, then on top of that, I do have the PC version as well too. If I want to mess around with that, uh, it's more just the questioning. But honestly, I will be shocked if it gets released on the Switch. Just do the fact that in the original Switch trailer they showed Skyrim being played on there. And then Bethesda came out and said, oh yeah, so we are working with Nintendo and we are working on bringing several of our games to the system, uh, but we cannot confirm which ones are going to be on there. And then people ask, well, isn't Skyrim on there? And they're just like, we, we cannot confirm what games are on there yet. Then later on, obviously, like a few weeks later, they confirmed Skyrim's going to be on Switch. Okay, great. Is it going to be the base version that has been, you know, adapted and ported over to Wii U or not damn switch or uh, <laughs> is it <laughs> or is it going to be the remastered version and they came out and said uh, we we cannot share the specifics of it unfortunately we are not at liberty at this time to discuss the specifics so it doesn't make me feel good when these are two extremely basic questions is the system is these are yes or no questions is the game going to be on the system and is it the remastered version and they have had trouble giving, like, they've had trouble naming these off and telling us. One of them, we still don't know. We don't know if it's the remastered version or not. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't give me any faith. Yeah, and, you know, there are internal politics. NDAs are a thing. We never That's know true. what these people are actually limited to legally saying. Um, but, you know, I, would, I wouldn't be terribly shocked if it wasn't the remastered version. You know, that, I, that 360 version was nasty. I played it a lot on 360. It was disgusting. I only played it on PC, to be honest. I uh, either way, to be honest, um, I've got a I've got a decent PC at home. I could definitely play the remastered version. I thought about buying it, but as soon as I heard that the Switch might have it, I instantly thought, "Is it going to be the remastered version?" I thought, "I, I don't care. I want to play Skyrim everywhere. I want to play Skyrim on my computer." 
my bed, in the bathroom. I play Skyrim everywhere. Yeah. And Zelda has already proven that because Zelda is like, reminds me of Skyrim a lot. Mm -hmm. Except I personally, I've been enjoying Breath of the Wild more than Skyrim. I have too. There's more character. Yeah. I felt like Skyrim, while it was fun to kill time, it did feel a little bit more like uh, cookie cutter. It has foxes in it. Not Skyrim. Yeah. I'm I'm talking about uh, Breath of the Wild. It has foxes. Yeah, I've just been I mean, I've, like eighty percent of my screenshots are just foxes that I've been sneaking up on, or like I've been taking pictures of, like with a little like zoom feature on there. I've got some pretty good screenshots, though. I mean, you have to admit. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I, I was pretty proud to show you. Yes. Yeah. I was proud. I, I was proud of you, Devin. Mister <laughs> <laughs> Mario, when are you going to shave? Uh, when I feel like it. I was going to say when my girlfriend tells me to, but the thing is, like, the reason why I also am not shaving as much now is, one, it's less effort, and two, the girl I'm dating actually really likes facial hair, and she likes my beard and all that. So I'm like, okay, awesome. I don't feel like shaving. I do need to clean it up, though, admittedly. Like, this has just been raw, uncut so far. Like, I haven't cleaned up anything, so uh, probably tomorrow or the day after I'll clean it up. See, so, do you want to take over? It looks like we might only have a... One or two questions in here. Shadow of the Colossus has one down here. Uh, is that... Well, let's see. Um, he was asking, uh, how do you see the Switch homebrew community playing out? Uh, once we see some exploits, I think it's going to be great, especially if we're having the same developers come over from the mm -hmm. Wii U and uh, 3DS over to the Switch scene. Yeah, I think that's one of the most important parts. Um, you know, I think that the style of homebrew, I think that the the way um, everything functioned, the way everything looked, the developers behind it. It was all very well done, very professional. If we have the same people involved, I think it's going to be a really great ride. Mm -hmm. Especially, oh, and, oh, oh, Devin, I'm waiting for the day we have Switch.Guide as a website. You know, I'm tempted to look and see if it's not already purchased. You know, just a placeholder. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking to see if, so. oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's saying DNS address could not be found. So there's there's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. But I don't know if anybody's claimed Switch.Guide. If anybody claims Switch.Guide, please don't be malicious with it. Like, hand it over to the guy who handles the guides. That'd be much appreciated. It's hard to say his name. Uh, Ply. Play. I don't. I don't say. I don't say his full name. I've just read it. <laughs> I don't know. I respect you, man. No offense meant. <laughs> I, I respect you, bro. <laughs> Yeah, have you, uh, so uh, Modshop was asking, have you backed ukulele and how do you feel about it so far? Uh, personally, I've not backed it. Uh, now, Devin, how do you yourself feel about ukulele or if you're interested in it or if you've looked into it or anything? Yeah, no, I, I've heard a little bit about it. It's honestly been more like a side conversations on podcasts, actually. But um, I've seen some screenshots and I get the idea. Um, in general, I think it's more of like a, a spiritual successor to Banjo Kazooie. That, that's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm a big fan of those kinds of games. I think it's awesome to, uh, you know, non maliciously, non offensively, be able to carry on a gaming franchise that no longer is cranking out new stuff. Um, you know, it's, especially when the last game we got was Nuts and Bolts, which Jontron did an excellent video over. But that's essentially 
when you play it and you look at it, you could tell that was supposed to be Banjo 3E or Banjo Kazooie 3. Banjo 3E is more fun to say. Um, but that was supposed to be it. And then for some reason, they said, let's add racing and let's turn this into a cart building game. Well, yeah. But they changed ownership or whatever. Rare got bought by Microsoft or whatever. I don't know, but I don't I don't know who pushed on that idea though. Ah, uh, beats me. But when ownership changes like that, you get new managers, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It was it, it it's it's funny too because I noticed the people that liked the game are people that did not play Banjo Kazooie or Banjo Tooie. The people who did play Banjo Kazooie absolutely hate nuts and bolts. Yeah, I was never a huge Banjo Kazooie fan. Um, not for any reason. I just never, you know, came across it in my childhood, so I didn't go out of my way to play it. But I can believe it. It's I didn't did not hear positive reviews about it. Mm-hmm. But Ukulele in general, uh, it sounds great. It sounds like a really uh, I like the the style it's going for with this real bright colors, real approachable look, but very challenging gameplay. Um, from what I hear, it's it's definitely gonna it's it's not for the faint of heart as far as the gameplay goes. Uh, not in a dark way, but it's it's a challenging game. Yeah, I uh, I haven't looked into it all too much. I actually listened to Beta64 a while ago. He did an interview with the, de- the developers, which was quite insightful. Um, definitely interesting to check out and listen to. So I'd highly recommend checking that out at one point, of course, after the podcast, if you could be so kind. But um, no, the bit that I followed of it, it does look great. I have not backed it, as I said, uh, but I'm going to wait for reviews and then I will most likely pick it up unless it just scores abysmally. But from what I see, this is pretty much all the people who worked on Banjo-Kazooie who wanted to make another one, but they couldn't for semantic reasons, so they made the spiritual successor. It feels like a passion project, and I really hope that's the result that we get. Um, like Zelda, for example, you know, yeah, there was a new Zelda do, but when you play it, I, I don't know if anybody, like, hopefully people who've played it in the chat can recognize this, but Devin, I just want to know, like, when you play the game, can you just tell that there was just so much love just pumped in and crafted into this game? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm glad that it came out the way it did. It's You're totally right in ways that is hard to explain. It's mm-hmm. hard for me to bring words to it. I am enjoying so much of it, and it seems like everyone is. And I'm so glad that I am feeling what I know they put into it. Mm-hmm. By the way, Shadow of Colossus uh, did mention that on who.is, it says uh, switch.guides already registered, so uh, you can't go and purchase that. Um, I checked myself, and he's right, so switch.guide is owned by somebody. Hopefully, hopefully it's given to the right people. I'm hoping so. (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) But yeah, on... On here, let me see. I'm looking at the uh, the rest of the stuff. Uh, Grim was asking, uh, this has not been brought up today, but uh, how do you feel about the Xbox Scorpio? Um, I haven't, he's also saying that apparently they're touting native 4K. My belief on it is I think Microsoft is going to push their first party developers as hard as they can to get native 4K running on the Microsoft first party game. So Microsoft can then say our games are in 4K, whether that is for. It's probably not going to be 4K60. Probably not. Um, so mm-hmm. most likely that's going to be like 4K30 or somewhere around there. Um, 
I'm not saying anything against it. Like if I'm sitting here saying, oh no, it shouldn't be doing 4K native. Like, no, that's that's not what I'm trying to say. If, if we get it, that's great. I just don't know how believable it is. We also don't know how much the price is going to be on there um, where we've said, you know, this is going to be priced like a premium console, but they said they're going to be pricing it competitively. So if we can see it for around 400 or $450, that would be impressive. I even said when this was announced, because I did a uh, like E3 coverage uh, of the Microsoft stuff after it happened, uh, but I'd even said, I feel like they announced it so far in advance, not only to generate some hype, but they didn't release it now. They're releasing it near the end of the year and they're waiting so long because I'm sure to get the hardware they want and get it at a proper price point that they feel like would be competitive and would sell properly to people, they have to wait long enough to not only really fine tune develop the hardware, but also wait for it to drop in price. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know too much about the Scorpio. You would know far more than I have. I don't keep up with those consoles as much these days, but I totally agree. Devin's the phone guy. I am. These days, I, I find happiness in the simple things, the phone stuff, and now Switch. Now Switch. Mm-hmm. yeah perfect yeah let's see this um this will be like uh one last thing uh we'll get on here one last question it's from a uh, mod shop but since i haven't played it yet without spoilers he's talking about breath of the wild without spoilers how does it compare in your opinion to ocarina of time or wind waker for example so for me i have not played wind waker um i am oh wow yeah i'm a terrible i'm a ter- terrible nintendo fan I haven't played that many Zeldas, and I've never beat a Zelda. Um, I haven't played nearly as much as I have wanted to, and to be honest, I hope that Breath of the Wild is something I do finish to really get my foot in the door. I have played through a decent bit of Ocarina of Time, and I don't know. I do enjoy it, but what I really enjoy about Zelda is that it truly feels like an open world, not in the sense of the environment, but what I can do. It looks big. I can, yes, I can walk around. I'm not completely on rails or in such a linear path, but there's just so much freedom to it. It's, it's hard to explain. Um, they're both great in their own right, but it, they've really kind of feel like two different games. Uh, I'll say as well too. It definitely feels like a completely different Zelda compared to all the others. Um, I feel like this is definitely a huge passion project on top of being you know a zelda they had to complete and release um but i'll I'll go on record and say this so far is my favorite zelda game even though i haven't finished it yet i do plan to try and finish it uh but this is my favorite zelda game um i have not had a love for any other zelda game that i have played um i didn't i really need to go back and try wind waker again i just wasn't super crazy about it because even myself this is a change for me where i'm more of a fan of the more realistic looking zeldas uh like i finished ocarina of time i did enjoy it i think it's a fantastic game um twilight princess i played a bit of that and i liked that as well too it was a more realistic ish looking zelda game um a dark aesthetic and that definitely appealed to me which is probably why i liked you know getting into it so much um however this is different and i almost feel like i'd I'd said it in my uh in my thoughts and such on uh, breath of wild and the switch i feel like if they went to studio ghibli and said hey we want you guys to make the next zelda game 
this would be what we got, or it would be something extremely close to it. Uh, another thing is, some people probably know I love urban exploring. Urbex fascinates me, abandoned stuff. And just the fact that, first off, like, you know, the, the main movie I think of is stereotypically Spirited Away. But when Chihiro, you know, at the beginning, they're going into that old, like, they're going into the old abandoned areas. They're seeing the countryside, how everything is just destroyed. That's how it feels like in Zelda, like Breath of the Wild, so often. Uh, you always get that feeling. On top of that, you're just running around, you see all these destroyed, decrepit, broken, abandoned buildings, and then that 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 makes me happy. That definitely makes me want to explore more as well, too, and kind of do Urbex Zelda edition. So, uh, no, it's definitely my favorite Zelda so far. It's a, uh, I said, aside from, the, I'll repeat again, but aside from the technical issues that would be, you know, the low frame rate and such, and just, you know, some, some stuttering, uh, it's a masterpiece. Yeah, I would totally agree. 100%. Um, I find myself having a hard time sticking to my quests, and I, I just wander too much in Zelda uh, because it is so interesting and so fascinating. And what you said about the whole, you know, Studio Ghibli thing, I, I can't remember, I don't think we've had this conversation, but I've said that before. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel the same way, um, and I'm a fan. I was actually at the Studio Ghibli Museum just a few months ago. Oh, jealous. So, yeah, it was it was pretty fantastic. Uh, it, it it was a great addition to my trip to Japan, and pretty cheap. It was like twenty bucks. Oh, that so, that'd totally be worth it. Yeah, I highly you know recommend it if you're at all interested in end up in Japan, someone. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but yeah, game overall masterpiece. Absolutely love it, and I feel the same way. I've not felt. I've tried to get into many Zelda games, and I've not. I've never said, "Wow, I dislike that game," but I've never been so hooked on one and wanting to just get more it'll be it'll be exciting i'm definitely like i'm i'm taking my time but at the same time i'm putting a lot of uh, a lot of time into this game as well too and playing you know a few hours every single day so I, a lot of it has been exploration though yeah absolutely yeah i think uh, jack's trying to kick us out of here man Oh no, he was saying just <laughs> he, was, he was doing a countdown for us. No, yeah, I'm no, just we're joking. we're pretty much at the two hour mark there. Um, you know, with that, that's kind of the last question. I feel like that'd be good for the night. Um, I actually wanted to finish off with this here as well, too. I'll kind of just uh read it off. When I was talking about, you know, this being a passion project, I keep harping on that, but this is posted on, I, I believe this was an interview, and this is posted on the uh, Nintendo Switch subreddit, but they were talking about uh, Breath of the Wild, and I'll put it here, you know, quotes. Um, I'll, you know, I'll repeat what I'm reading here. Midway through production, Satoru Iwata, Miyamoto's friend and mentor, and Nintendo's well-loved president died, suddenly and unexpectedly. Quote, when he passed away, there were moments we'd come up with an idea which we'd be excited to talk to Iwata about, unquote. And this is what one of the developers said. Then we'd remember he was no longer here. Miyamoto told me it was the same for him. When he'd come up with an idea at, at the weekend, that's in there, but when he'd come up with an idea at the weekend and would feel excited to speak to Iwata about it on Monday, only to remember. The sadness runs deep. This is approaching spiritual talk, but we had the sense that he was watching over our work. That became a source of motivation, a drive for us to improve and be better. Yeah, I read that uh, that exact same quote as well. And I got uh, I got goosebumps, and I swear I was like I was almost like I was getting a little bit emotional just reading that out loud, man. Oh yeah, it it hits it hurts deep, man. Um, rest in peace, Iwata, for sure. From what I hear, the man was not just a leader, but just an incredible man overall, and uh, a coder, you know, a developer. He was 
a huge part of the company. And it's great to see them pursuing through his death. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think this is that this would even be, you know, partially a tribute to his life. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Anyways, with, oh, go ahead. Say, it's great that it's just so turned out so well with such raving reviews to, mm -hmm. you know, the popularity of the switch and everything. It, it's yeah. definitely a great tribute. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no. So uh, what we're saying here is if, if you have a Wii U, get Breath of the Wild. If if you're thinking of if you're a Zelda fan, you want to try it like it's it's worth it. I don't know. The the worst thing I've heard about it was anything Jim Sterling said. And even so, that, that's a whole other thing. We're not going to get into it right now. In short, Jim Sterling got attacked viciously for giving the game a 7 out of 10, which is the lowest I've heard. Before that, it was getting like 9s and 9.5s out of 10. Um, but even so, like I, I kind of quoted and I said, I really haven't looked at the review all that much. I kind of skimmed it. But a 7's not bad. Like, it's not abysmal. A 7 is average. So I'll make a comment about what I think of Zelda in, is in parallel with the Switch. Uh, I, I think a 7 is fair to an extent, uh, depending on who you are and how you're looking at it. In my opinion, with the Switch and Zelda, the absolutely excellent things about the Switch far outweigh the bad. There is still plenty of bad with the frame rate, and with the Switch, with various other problems it's having. However, the good is just outweighs it so much that, you know, it's like, yeah, I understand there are problems. I do not care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just enjoying it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyways, well, we can go ahead and finish this off here for the night. So, you know, everyone, thank you very much for listening, watching. Um, we are available. Man, there are just cars everywhere. We are available on, uh, let's see, Google Play, Podbean, iTunes, of course, on YouTube, on the Mr. Mario 2011 channel. Uh, by the way, for anybody who, you know, they came in and they're coming to the end, thank you very much for being here. Uh, the reason why I'm going to reiterate it here for anybody who came in later, the reason why Devin is here is uh, because, in short, um, Daniel has had some personal stuff going on he's fine wish him the best um but he let me know a couple hours he was not going to make it he didn't want to cancel the show so he said hey could we uh could, could you do it solo or it's totally cool if you find someone who can sub in for me and Devin was kick-ass enough to come in and do that so it's funny because like a month or two ago we, i talked to Devin about him being on and then you know this came the opportunity where he was the first co-host on here so Devin, thank you like you're i I'm very appreciative of you coming on and doing this. I, I know you, I know you were excited about it, but like you're helping me a lot more than you know. Oh no, I, I think I understand, but thank you, Mario. <laughs> you, you have done me a service. This was fun. I had a great time. So if you ever need my help again, whether it's a, a co-host or Daniel is or isn't here, you want my insight, dude, invite me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, thank you so much for coming on such short notice. It was like when, when I find, when I found this out, when Daniel let me know, it's like I contacted Devin and within 10 minutes I had new co-host and this was two hours before the show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, no, there was not really any hesitation about it. It was like, Oh wait, uh, what time, when do I need to be over? <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh man. Anyways, yeah, uh, uh Oh, like ahead. you were saying, I was just going to uh, say uh, for the people that are coming in late, like you said, my name's Devin. If you do want to follow me, you can find me on Twitter at paranoid underscore coder. That's really about the only place I am online. So feel free. All right. That works out. Perfect. 
anyways again thank you very much for coming on everybody who is here thank you so much for listening watching you know interacting with us and all that stuff if you can let us know how the episode was you know when this airs later on that'd be absolutely fantastic and you know if you want to follow Devin, go ahead and give him a follow his uh i'll add it in so on the youtube page his uh twitter will be down below in the description and uh hopefully we should be ready to rock after that all right sounds good man thank you for inviting me on again hope i'm back soon hey no problem of course you're, you're welcome to come back but anyways, this is uh, Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for watching, everyone.